Okay, I'm ready now. Welcome everyone to the April 6th Lawrence City Commission meeting. Before we get going, we'll have a few words from Porter O'Neill, our Communications and Creative Resources Director. Thank you, Mayor, and good evening, everyone. Um, I just want to share a few housekeeping items for this virtual meeting. This meeting is being broadcast and recorded on the City of Lawrence YouTube channel and on channel 25. The public chat function is disabled. All chats will go directly to me. When you are not participating in the meeting, please mute your microphone. When you are participating in the meeting, please keep your video on. When you are not participating in the meeting, please turn your video off. You will still be able to hear the meeting. You can turn your video back on when you are participating. Turning your video off when you are not participating allows the active meeting participants to be seen on the screen. If you have any trouble, please send me a chat. The city reserves the right to mute microphones and or turn off people's video to minimize distractions. Please remember to state your name every time you speak for the benefit of those listening remotely. And now I'll return the meeting to Mayor Finkeldye. Mayor Finkeldye, thank you, Porter. I'll do roll call. Vice Mayor Shipley? Here. Commissioner Nanda? Here. Commissioner Lawson? Here. Commissioner Bully? Here. Mayor Finkeldye here. And again, we'll have a few comments from Sherry Riedemann, our city clerk, on the procedure for the meeting. Thank you, Mayor. Um, I'm just going to provide a few procedural reminders. Um, commissioners, please remember to state your name and title each time you speak. Mayor, after a motion is made and seconded, please call on commissioners individually to provide their vote, their vote, then announce whether the motion carried and the count of the vote. City staff, please remember to state your name and title each time you speak. When the mayor calls for public comment on an item, individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise hand function to indicate they wish to speak. The raise hand function may appear in different places on your Zoom menu, depending on the device you are using and which version of Zoom you have. Individuals will be called upon by name in the order they appear on the meeting host screen. When you are called on, please unmute and state your name. Comments will be limited to three minutes. When the mayor calls for in-person public comment, individuals should raise their hand to indicate they wish to speak. Staff present will direct you to the podium to speak following social distancing and safety protocols. Please state your name before speaking and comments will be limited to three minutes. Thank you. Mayor Fingalai, thank you, Sherry. First item on the agenda is to approve the agenda. The city commission reserves the right to amend, supplement, or reorder the agenda during the meeting. Would any commissioner like to change the agenda or I'd look for a motion? Commissioner Nanda, I move to approve the agenda. Commissioner Larson, second. Mayor Finkeldai, we have a motion by Commissioner Nanda, a second by Commissioner Lawson. Commissioner Nanda? Aye. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Bully? Aye. Mayor Finkeldai, aye. Passes 5 to 0. We'll now move on to proclamations. We have three proclamations tonight. And the first one is to proclaim the month of April 2021 as Child Abuse Prevention Month. And I believe Eric Vaughn from 
Casa is here to speak before I read the proclamation. Yes, thank you. It's Eric Vaughn. I'm executive director at uh, Douglas County Casa, and I also represent the Douglas County Child Abuse Prevention Task Force. So on behalf of the task force and all the organizations and individuals it represents, I want to say thank you to the City Commission for taking action to proclaim April Child Abuse Prevention Month and also for supporting children and families in our community through grants to nonprofit organizations that provide education, awareness services, and intervene to support children and families when they experience abuse and neglect. Every child is born with countless possibilities, and as individuals in a community, we must ensure all our children and young people have the support they need to realize their potential. Regardless of who they are or the characteristics of their birth, each child deserves to be cared for, cherished, and kept safe from harm. Tragically, one in seven children experience abuse and neglect each year, thus tarnishing and eroding this hope and potential for hundreds of children in our community each year. This month, we celebrate the love and courage it takes to raise a child, and we reaffirm the fundamental right of all children to live free from violence and abuse, and we rededicate ourselves to ending the harm to many children and that many children and youth face. A strong, stable family is the best foundation for a promising childhood, and when parents and caregivers have support from loved ones, friends, and their community, they're more likely to provide safe and healthy environments for children. It is important for all people to recognize the signs of child neglect, physical, sexual, and emotional abuse, including sudden changes in behavior or school performance and untreated physical or medical issues. Reporting any concerns could protect um, a child and connect a family with the help they need. We at CASA strongly believe in the protective factor of a safe and caring adult in the life of a child. You do not have to be at CASA to do this, although we are recruiting new volunteers, so give us a call if you or someone has the passion for helping children. But no matter your role, whether it's a teacher, law enforcement officer, friend, family member, or neighbor, I encourage you to be a good example and offer good words of encouragement and care for each other. Take action to help if you have the opportunity and means, and especially do this for children in your life and the adults who are caring for those children. This is especially important as we continue to work to overcome the COVID pandemic. You never know the impact that love and care will have in the life of a child or a parent who is struggling. So thank you again. Thank you for supporting, uh, for allowing me to share some remarks this evening and to learn more about how to prevent or rep report child abuse, visit childwelfare.gov or contact any of the wonderful nonprofit agencies in our community who support children, families, and victims of crimes. Mayor Finkel, I thank you, Eric, for those words, and thank you for all you do at CASA. And I'll now read the proclamation. Whereas children are key to the city's future success, prosperity, and quality of life, and while children are our most valuable resource, they are also our most vulnerable. And whereas child abuse and neglect can have long-term psychological, emotional, and physical effects, in addition to long-term personal economic and social costs. And whereas child abuse and neglect can be prevented by increasing protective factors, conditions in families and communities that when present, reduce or eliminate risk and promote the well-being of children and families. 
And whereas we acknowledge that we must work together as a community to increase awareness of child abuse and neglect and to promote the protective factors that prevent child abuse and neglect. Parental resilience, the ability of parents to deal effectively with stress, adversity, or trauma. Number two, social connections, such as relationships with family, friends, neighbors, and other community members. Three, concrete support, which gives family the support and resources they need during times of struggle and stress. Four, knowledge of parenting and child development, because children thrive when parents understand how to appropriately care for children. And five, social and emotional competence of children, which helps children properly label and understand different emotions in themselves and others. Now, therefore, I, Brad Finkeldye, Mayor of the City of Lawrence, to hereby proclaim the month of April 2021 as Child Abuse Prevention Month. Again, thank you, Eric, and thank you for all of doing this um, difficult work and necessary work. The second proclamation is to proclaim the month of April 2021 to be Fair Housing Month. And I believe Amber Sellers from our Human Relations Commission is here to say a few words before I read the proclamation. Yes. Um, Good evening, Mayor Finkeldye, city commissioners, and Lawrence residents who are on this evening. Um, April marks the 53rd anniversary of the Federal Fair Housing Act, signed into law on April 11, 1968, just seven days after the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. The Federal Fair Housing Act expanded within the Civil Rights Act of 1964 provisions that prohibited discrimination concerning the sale, rental, and financing of housing. Good evening, everyone. My name is Amber Sellers, and I serve as the chair of the Human Relations Commission. On behalf of the Human Relations Commission, it is my pleasure to be here this evening to promote April as Fair Housing Month here in the city of Lawrence. In Lawrence, the Human Relations Commission is charged with endeavoring to eliminate discrimination and assist with the enforcement of Chapter 10 of the city code, the city's equivalent of federal civil rights laws. The Lawrence Human Relations Commission was created in 1961, and the adoption of the city's first civil rights code took place in March of 1964. 2021, if your math is correct, marks the 60th anniversary of the Human Relations Commission here in Lawrence, And we plan to mark this occasion with a campaign to increase awareness about the ongoing efforts of our commission. In this moment of unparalleled crisis, fair housing justice is important more than ever. The Human Relations Commission stands committed to advancing equity in housing and increasing public awareness of everyone's right to fair housing through advocacy, enforcement, education, and outreach. As HUD Secretary Marsha Fudge declared, this fair housing justice is a time, this is the time for us to recommit to our nation's obligation to ensuring that everyone has equal access to safe and affordable housing. So again, thank you everyone. Thank you for this opportunity and have a good night. Mayor Fingal, I thank you so much, Amber, for those words and for serving as the chair of our Human Relations Committee and all the work that you guys do. Now I'll go ahead and read the proclamation. 
Whereas April 2021 marks the 53rd anniversary of the passage of the Fair Housing Act, which provides in Lawrence equal opportunity for all residents in the sale, rental, and financing of housing, and prohibits discrimination on the basis of rage, race, age, marital status, disability, familial status, color, religion, sex or national or origin, sexual orientation, and gender identity. And whereas the City of Lawrence supports efforts to eliminate discrimination in housing by working to educate all its citizens on fair housing rights and responsibilities, and through enforcement of fair housing laws, including Chapter 10 of the Code of the City of Lawrence. And whereas the month of April is officially set aside as Fair Housing Month throughout the nation. Now, there, now therefore, I, Brad Finkeldy, Mayor of the City of Lawrence, in conjunction with the annual National Commemoration, to hereby proclaim the month of April 2021 to be Fair Housing Month in Lawrence, and ask the people of Lawrence to join me in reaffirming our obligation to fair and equal housing for every person who resides or wishes to reside in our city. Thank you very much for that and a very important proclamation and definitely ongoing work. The third proclamation is to proclaim the month of April as Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And I'm not sure if anyone is here to speak on that before I read the proclamation. Well, seeing none, I'll go ahead and read the proclamation and I think it um, speaks somewhat for itself on the importance of this issue. Whereas Sexual Assault Awareness Month calls attention to the fact that sexual trauma and abuse is widespread and impacts every person in this community. And whereas sexual assault and sexual harassment harm our community, and statistics show one in five women and one in 67 men will be assaulted at some point in their lives, and that two out of three sexual assaults are never reported to police. And whereas child abuse, child sexual abuse prevention must be a priority to confront the reality that one in six boys and one in four girls will experience a sexual assault before the age of 18. And whereas young people experience heightened rates of sexual violence and youth ages 12 to 17 were 2.5 times as likely to be victims of rape or sexual assault. And whereas on campus, one in five women and one in 16 men are sexually assaulted during their time in college. And whereas this year, Sexual Assault Awareness Month is celebrating its 20th anniversary, the theme for this year's campaign is Consent is for Everyone. The campaign calls on partners and community members to help expand sexual assault prevention efforts and to ensure the next generation fosters attitudes that promote consent, equality, and respect. Now, therefore, I, Brad Finkeldy, Mayor of the City of Lawrence, do hereby proclaim the month of April 2021 as Sexual Assault Awareness Month and encourage our citizens to join advocates and communities across the country in taking action to prevent sexual trauma and abuse. April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and each day of the year is an opportunity to create change for the future. Again, thank you for that, and I, I do think it speaks for itself, itself and the necessity of raising awareness of those important issues, and all three are very important issues. Okay, we'll now move to the consent agenda. All matters listed on the consent agenda are considered under one motion, 
and will be enacted by one motion. There'll be no separate discussion on those items. If discussion is desired, that item will be removed from the consent agenda and will be considered separately. Members of the public wishing to speak to an item that has been pulled off consent agenda will be limited to three minutes for comments. Would any commissioner like to pull an item off the consent agenda? Seeing none, would any member of the public like to pull an item off the consent agenda? If so, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature or otherwise turn your camera on and indicate um, so Sherry can recognize you and she will call upon you. And if you're in person, you can do so as well. Uh, Chris Flowers. Hi, um, this is Chris Flowers and I'd like to pull, I think it's C9D about declaring an emergency and adopting an ordinance and then C8A about the um, the scorecard. Yeah, re adopting resolution 7359 C8A. Thank you, Chris. Anyone else? Um, do either of you want to pull a consent item? No, okay. Uh, uh, that's it uh, from the public, Mayor. Mayor Finkelai, thank you. I will look for a motion on the consent agenda. Commissioner Ananda, I move to approve the consent agenda accepting items C8A and C9D. Commissioner Larson, second. Mayor Finkelai, there's a motion by Commissioner Ananda, a second by Commissioner Lawson. Commissioner Ananda? Aye. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Bully? Aye. Mayor Finkel, aye. Consent agenda passes five to zero. That'll bring us to item C8A. Chris, you pulled that item. Go ahead. You have three minutes. Hi, um, this is Chris Flowers, and um, I sent in comment about this. So I'm not really going to read it all, but um it just seems to me like there needs to be something about the students like some kind of scorecard because a few months ago we had that economic analyst and i guess by ernst and young where it said that the like the biggest industry in lawrence is the um education and like most of like our economy is kind of based around the students so i don't understand if we're gonna be scoring the most important stuff and we have an outside consultant tell us that our our biggest um industry in lawrence is the college and also when they list they listed strengths they said that our university is one of our our biggest strength. So if we're going to be scoring our stuff and measuring it, why wouldn't you be like trying to look after, like measure the biggest thing of our economy? I, I just think that needs to be something we're looking at in the, the economic, the, what was it? Prosperity and economic security. I think, I mean, it could be also unmistakable identity because 
students are what makes Lawrence. Our identity is we are a college town. And I, I think some people around here want to turn it into just another Johnson County suburb. And the stuff we have listed on there, that seems more, I, I, I don't know if it's leaning towards a Johnson County suburb, but some of that stuff is, isn't about college town. And there needs to be something about students because our identity is we are a college town and our economy is dependent on the students. And if, if it's measuring our end goal, like our, what was there, our city plan or whatever for way in the future, then maybe we needed something in our, our end goal about students. I don't know. It just seems, I think what's missing in this is something about a measurement about the strength of our, our college life. So I, I would like to be measuring the number of students enrolled is what I could think might be the best because when enrollment's down, like if, if you're in retail and restaurant, I think sales are down. So, and you, you could say that, you know, it's more based on what KU does, but when you guys wanted to do that, raise the vaping age and, and nicotine age to 21, that would have had an effect, I think, on movement. So actions the city does. And also I listed when you guys did that police task force going after underage drinking and fake IDs, that's not helping the... Thanks, Chris. You're, you're three minutes up. Oh, thank you. Mayor Finkel, I, I think I'll go ahead and open it up to see if there's any other public comment on this item before we bring it back to the commissioners of that case. If anyone would like to speak on this item from the public, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature or let Sherry know if you're there in person. Uh, there's no other public comment on this item. Mayor Finkel, I thank you, Sherry. Bring it back to the commissioners. I go ahead. Danielle, do you have, I saw you turned your video on there. Did, did you have any comment or response that you'd like to make? Uh, Danielle Bushcutter, Budget and Strategic Initiatives Administrator. Um, I'd be certainly happy to answer any questions um, that you all have related to this. Um, I will note that um, there isn't a KPI to um, Mr. Flowers' point about directly related to students, but I do think that we will see that with the strategies that come before you um, here and kind of the next step of this process. Um, and and want to um, relay that the um, economic development strategic plan that um, was referenced uh, being done by Ernst & Young is uh, very much being tied to this strategic plan as well. We want those two things to really work in harmony. Um, and a lot of the uh, key folks involved in that economic development strategic plan are the same key folks on our um, uh, prosperity and economic security uh, team um, so that we can get good alignment between those things because we certainly want all of this to be harmonious with one another and, and work together, not, not um, have separate goals. So um, that's what I would share, but I would be happy to answer any questions that you all may have as well. Mayor Finkeldye, thank you, Danielle. Any questions, comments, motions from the commission? 
This is Commissioner Nana. I just wanted to quickly point out the acronym for Prosperity and Economic Security Team. <laughs> I don't know if y'all use that, but that seems pretty good. I do think that, you know, the town gown relation conversation is always a confusing one or not confusing, but complicated one. And certainly working at both the university um, as well as this role, um, understanding the interrelationship between the state and KBOR and the limitations that the city has and how do we create a fertile place for those students to thrive when they do come to this community is, is the question I think that is before the commission when we're looking at these factors and many of the factors on this do speak to that. Mayor Finkel, I agree. I certainly don't disagree with Chris that the universities and all the all the, you know, both universities are very very important to our um, community and the um, richness and the unmistakable identity. So certainly those are things we want to focus on. I'm comfortable, as Danielle said, with our strategies here, and don't think we need the KPI specifically on student enrollment either at KU or Haskell, um, you know, to measure that. But certainly it's something I think. Um, makes our community better, so. But appreciate Chris bringing those points up, but other comments or motions? I'd move to adopt, um, Ms. Commissioner Nanda, I'd move to adopt resolution number 7359. Commissioner Larson, second. Mayor Finkel, aye. There's a motion by Commissioner Nanda, a second by Commissioner Lawson. Commissioner Nanda? Aye. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Bully? Aye. Mayor Finkel, aye, aye. Passes five to zero. We'll now move to C9A. No, let's see which C9D. Um, and I would, Chris, I think you pulled this as well. So you have three minutes. Hi, this is Chris Flowers again. And I'm just wondering what the emergency is. Like I, I didn't see, I, I could have missed it, but I didn't see where it explained what the emergency is. It just says declare an emergency. I think it's the declaring the emergency so we can skip the second reading, it sounded like. So we just have one reading. So if we're going to be skipping like protocol, the protocol that's in place, I think, to ensure good government and not something sketchy. I'm just wondering what the emergency is. Is this something where it's about, uh, is this an emergency or an opportunity? Is this something where we need to act fast to get the best price or is there, and if, if so, if, if it's something where we need to act fast to get a best price, is that an actual emergency? I mean, I'm not, I, I'm, I don't know what to do on this because I don't know what the emergency is. And if it, if it is an, just an opportunity, I, I could be okay with it, but I just think we should list what the emergency is if we're going to be breaking protocol and not having a second reading because that, that's kind of bad government, I think. I, if, if we're going to preach transparency, then if we're declaring an emergency, we should be letting the public know what the emergency is. And also, if you guys go ahead and vote for it, then I, I think that means you find the, the city's argument for the, that this is an emergency legit. So I'm, I'm, I'm just 
stirring the pot in this one. How, thank you. Mayor Fingalai, thank you. I'll go ahead and open it to public comment before I bring it back for a response. So if any member of the public would like to speak, other member of the public would like to speak on this item, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature or let Sherry know if you're there in person. Eric Hyde, I didn't really want to talk too much about this. Um, I just want to say that um, I want to remind you what George Orwell said, and this comment specifically applies to Chris Flowers and your consideration of him, City Commission. Um, George Orwell said maybe it wasn't love so much that people wanted so much as to be understood. That's very close to what he was quoted as writing. So what I mean by that is I can tell that Chris Flowers is not really a sniveler like everybody thinks he is. I can tell that he is a very intelligent man, and I can tell that you guys need to respect him more. Okay? He truly cares about government, I know. I want him to run for city commission. I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care what anybody's prejudice towards him. You guys need to listen to him and understand him. Please, that's all. Uh, Mayor, I just want to confirm that I didn't miss anyone on Zoom that wanted to speak to this item. I didn't see a hand raised, but I just wanted to provide one more opportunity. Okay. Uh, Mayor Finkelai, thank you. Um, Chad, did you want to speak to this item? I just wanted to mention that it, it would be nice to know what emergency we're declaring. That's all. Thank you. Uh, that's all the comment on this item, Mayor. Yes. Mayor Finkelai, thank you. Um, bring it back to the commission and go ahead and ask Jeremy to um, respond some of those questions. Absolutely. Jeremy Willemuth, finance director for the city. Um, <clears throat> admittedly, we probably could improve on the uh, staff report. This is uh, something that's done fairly routinely by government. And so um, unfortunately, it probably falls into that uh, sliver of, you know, we just anticipate or we, we anticipate that everybody understands what's going on. So we'll do a better job the next time of explaining this further. But essentially what happened was at 10 o'clock this morning, we accepted bids for the notes and the uh, bonds, and those bids are only good for 24 hours. So uh, the city does not officially accept that bid until the ordinance is adopted. And under Kansas law, ordinances are only adopted after the, the second reading. So the reason we're requesting the emergency is that um, without first and second reading tonight, we cannot accept the bids, at which point the sale becomes invalid and we have to start the whole process over again. So it's not an uh, emergency in, um, you know, the, the sense that life or, uh, or danger is present, but it is an emergency in the sense that if uh, we don't act on the sense of urgency, our bids will no, will no longer be valid and we'll have to uh, reissue the sale. I'd be happy to answer any questions the commissioners may have. 
Mayor, this is Commissioner Bowling. Um, I have a question for Jeremy. What would the cost be of doing a complete reissuance if the ordinance didn't pass tonight? Jeremy Willen, Finance Director. I don't think I'm in a position to say that right now. Um, you know, there'd be minor costs in terms of publication, et cetera, but uh, we paid um, our consultant, we paid Gilmore and Bell and, and others to prepare all these documents. They would essentially have to re-prepare re them. Uh, it wouldn't be a one-for-one -one relationship, certainly, because we're not starting from scratch. But, um, you know, if I had to ballpark it, I would say somewhere in the twenty dollars to $30,000 range. My, my bigger concern, however, would be um, the difficulty of finding bidders that would be willing to settle on an amount and hold it for two weeks without any adjustments. I just don't think that's feasible in the in the bond market. This Commissioner Bully, you know, the follow up to that would be that even if we did it again, we'd still be faced with having to declare an emergency or have a completely different way of issuing the bonds, right? Jeremy Wilmoth, finance director, that that's correct. There's uh, there's no way to coalesce the uh, the ordinances needing two separate readings with a bond process that happens in one day uh, without waiving that requirement. Uh, this Commissioner Bulligan, I appreciate um, your responses and the information. Um, I, I do agree that it's possible we should try to communicate this in a little bit different way next time we do it. Mayor. Mayor Finkelbach, go ahead, Tony. City Attorney Tony Wheeler, I want to make just a, a minor clarification to what um, Jeremy said. The um, requirement of having two readings is a local uh, decision that it used to be a state law, but the legislature amended it to remove that requirement. And um, we did propose um, a, a couple years back of removing that requirement, but the commission wanted to continue to operate with two readings. So um, that's why we're taking the action that we are tonight. But I just wanted to um, clarify, it's not a state law requirement anymore, but it is a local requirement. Mayor Pinkle, I thank you for that clarification and Jeremy, thank you for setting that forth. And I agree, we could probably make that a little clearer. I know we do this quite often, um, but uh, it's good to get to have the reminder. And again, thanks Chris for bringing it up. I think if you have that question and you come to a lot of these meetings, other people probably have that question as well. So we appreciate you bringing that up, Chris. Mayor, this is Commissioner Bully. I'd like to admit that I had that same question a number of years ago. So I'm familiar with being curious about this topic. Mayor Finkelstein, any other comments or motions? This is Commissioner Ananda. I would move that we declare an emergency and adopt on first and second reading ordinance number 9844 and adopt resolution number 7361. This is Commissioner Bully, I'll second. Mayor Finkel died. There's a motion by Commissioner Ananda, second by Commissioner Bully. Commissioner Ananda? Aye. Commissioner Bully? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Mayor Finkel died. Aye. Passes five to zero. We're now going to move to public, general public comment. The public is allowed to speak to any items or issues except those scheduled on the consent agenda or regular agenda portions of the agenda. As a general practice, the commission will not discuss or debate these items, nor will the commission make decisions on items presented 
during this time. Rather, they will refer the items to staff for follow-up if necessary. Individuals should address all comments and questions to the commission. Each person will be limited to three minutes. If you're interested in making general public comment, please, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature, or if you're present, allow um, let Sherry know. Maureen Murray. Hi, I'm Maureen Murray. I'm not sure if I should um, ask to make my comment now. It's on the ordinance, the planned um, ordinance for 9828 on um, the, the ban on conversion therapy. Was, is this no. the... Yeah, Mayor Finkel, I thank you, Maureen. We'll, we'll take that up when we take up the agenda item. Okay, this is for items not on the agenda. Hmm. Chad Osdale, were you wanting to make comment on this item? Just general public comment? Public comment, yeah. Yeah, yeah please go ahead. First, first thing I was uh, wanting to ask if we could uh, have Pira put on the commission's agenda and have a discussion about it. It's my feeling that it would save the city some money instead of hiring a labor lawyer and a investigator uh, i believe that is something that Pierre would do for free but you could explain it to me i could very well be wrong uh other than that i was wondering i've been asking the same questions for a long time so i'm trying to figure a way to say it a little different <laughs> but uh i was wondering if there was anybody in the commission or anybody in city management who was able to honestly stand up and say that this is our appraisal process, and this is how it is evaluated, and how it is scored, and how every employee is told it is done. I was wondering if anyone is able to stand up and say that this is how everybody is scored and evaluated, and that they're all treated with respect and scored fairly. Anybody? I'd love to see one of you stand up and answer, but I realize there won't be, but oh, thanks anyway. Other than that, uh, I'm pretty much done. Thank you for listening anyway. Looks like I'm cutting in and out. Thank you. Thank you, Chad. Uh, this is Sherry Reedeman, City Clerk. Is there anyone else on Zoom that would like to provide general public comment? Okay, go ahead. Thank you. Eric Hyde, um, I wore this and I'm taking it off. I will never wear it again. I'm getting it framed. Um, it's got blood on it. I was uh, attempted murder by homeless people down by the, oops, sorry, down by the Kaw River. Um, you can see my head and then um, I'm not going to take off my whole shirt, don't worry. And the back of my neck, I don't know if you can see that. Uh, anyway, there's a big spot back there. They broke my um, C6 cervical uh, process 
with an aluminum bat. They hit me at least twice in the head with an aluminum bat. Um, I blocked one of the swings with my hand. Uh, my hand is bruised. The uh, doctors said, um, <clears throat> and nurses said that they were so surprised that I didn't sustain a head injury. They did not say head injury, but that's what they implied. That I did not sustain a head injury or that I did not receive any other broken bones. I did not pass out once, yet I was paralyzed on the ground and I was looking at my attacker closing in for the kill like this ready to smash my face in. I couldn't talk but I somehow willed myself to yell stop three times and he stopped. He still threatened to hurt me by getting in my way as I tried to leave. I don't know how I left. I do know how I left because I wanted to but I was wobbling around like this. Blah, 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 there's more to this story. Officer Guile, I somehow found him. Officer, Officer Guile, supervising Officer, Officer Guile, my favorite police officer in the Lawrence Police Department. Amazing man of a higher order. So amazing. Anyway, I found him and he helped me. The paramedics came, blah, blah, blah. I want to tell you that I went to the homeless camp on my, on my intuition. I will never go back to any homeless camp ever again. I will never help any homeless person ever again in my life. The only way I will ever help them is by trying to understand them. I do not believe we need to support social services for the homeless anymore. We should not be supporting them at all. We should not be funding them with the city allowance or whatever. Period. This is my belief. You can believe whatever you want to believe. I won't blame you. However, what I want to say um, but after that is that I'm sorry for yelling last time. I was really frustrated. I don't think I was completely wrong. However, I love being wrong. I love being proved wrong about things. This yeah. is something you don't understand. And one last thing I want to say about Commissioner Bully, because I don't think he gets enough respect is that I observed him speak about trying to reduce the fees. This man is good. Commissioner Bully is good. You need to listen to him more. He is a very strong-minded, willed person. He's smart. I don't know about everything, but he's smart about that. That's it. Thank you, Eric, and I'm glad you were able to get some help. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, any other public comment, Sherry? Uh, no. That's it. Mayor Finkel died. Thank you. Um, we'll now move to regular agenda item number one. Consider adopting on first reading ordinance number 9828, prohibiting the practice of conversion therapy. Maria, are you presenting this? Yes, I am. Good evening, Mayor and Commissioners. I'm Assistant City Attorney. Maria Garcia and I will be providing the staff report for this item tonight. I do have um, a very quick PowerPoint to just assist in the conversation and in the presentation. Um, just open that up. All right, so the ordinance before you tonight is a draft ordinance in the city. 
Um, before I get started on what the ordinance says and how we came about um, on this conversation, I wanted to quickly define what conversion therapy is. So generally, conversion therapy is defined as any practice, counseling, or purported treatment that seeks to change an individual's sexual orientation or gender identity, including efforts to change behaviors or gender expressions or to eliminate or reduce sexual or romantic attractions or feelings toward individuals of the same gender. The definition, um, as we have drafted in the ordinance, um, specifically excludes counseling that provides assistance to an individual exploring identity and development or undergoing gender transition. So uh, this item was raised by a few city commissioners very late last year. There was some interest in an ordinance that had been adopted by Roland Park, Kansas in 2020, it was last summer. Um, to date, Roland Park remains or is and remains the only city in Kansas that has an ordinance specifically prohibiting conversion therapy in the state and it bans conversion therapy for minors specifically. And this is very similar to state laws around the country and other municipalities that have adopted similar laws they apply specifically to persons under the age of 18. As far as other states that have passed uh, conversion therapy laws, that is um, currently at 20. Um, on a state level, and there are many more municipalities and counties that have similarly banned the practice, of course, outside of Kansas. Um, we did have a few attempts in our Kansas legislature to ban conversion therapy in 2017, 2019, and 2020. But um, on each of those occasions, the bill did not make it out of committee and was unsuccessful. So the um, ordinance is fairly brief. It starts with findings and purpose of the governing body. And uh, the purpose, as stated, is to prohibit a practice that has been by um, many professionals and entities nationally been regarded as harmful. And that language is very similar, again, to other um, ordinances and state statutes that have passed similar laws. It begins with, you know, a purpose statement that states that there are many uh, recognized organizations around the country that have deemed the practice of conversion therapy to be harmful. And some examples of that include the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, which states that conversion therapies, quote, lack scientific credibility and clinical utility. Additionally, there is evidence that such interventions are harmful. In addition, the American Academy of Pediatrics has made a similar statement stating that um, reparative approaches such as this have been proven to not only be unsuccessful um, and are considered outside the mainstream of traditional medical practice. Um, the American Academy of Pediatrics has described reparative approaches such as this as, quote, unfair and deceptive. Additionally, the National Association of Social Workers states in a position statement that it believes that sexual orientation change efforts can negatively affect one's mental health and cannot and will not change sexual orientation or gender identity. The organization condemns the use of such practices and reaffirms its stance against therapies and treatments designed to change sexual orientation or gender identity and against referring clients to practitioners or programs that claim to do so. And um, in addition to that, the American College of Physicians um, provided its statement on conversion therapy, stating that it opposes the use of conversion, reorientation, or reparative therapy, um, and stated that available research does not support the use of reparative therapy as an effective method in the treatment of LGBT persons. 
Evidence shows that the practice may actually cause emotional or physical harm to such individuals, particularly adolescents or young persons. And then I've also listed um, four additional organizations that have very similar statements. This list is not exhaustive. There are still other organizations that have um, provided very similar input. The ordinance continues after the findings and purpose to a definition section, and those definitions are meant to help guide in the understanding of what is prohibited. Those definitions are um, obviously subject to your review and revisions if you'd like to expand them or limit them. This is this would be the commission's ordinance, and so you're certainly welcome to make any revisions that you would see appropriate. Um, after that, section 6-2104 has the language that um, very clearly states that conversion therapy is prohibited within the city. An additional section prohibits assisting someone to violate the law, owning a business that provides prohibited services or purporting to provide prohibited services. And then finally, the ordinance ends with a penalty section that imposes a $500 fee on a first offense for engaging in prohibited conduct here. There is no jail time associated with that, and that is consistent with other laws um, that were researched on a state level and also on a uh, municipal level that this was a, a, a fine or civil penalty only. Oops. And that was it for just some opening remarks. I'm happy to answer any questions. Mayor Finkelai, thank you. Do we have any questions for Maria? This is Commissioner Ananda. I wanted to look at the definitions for just a second. Um, LGBTQ is defined um, as a person who is lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and or questioning. Um, generally, the Q in LGBTQ stands for queer, which is a catch-all for various sexual orientations, such as pansexual. Um, and so I think that when looking at the definition of what is commonly used for lesbian or gay or bisexual, um, those are very specific sexual orientations that wouldn't necessarily encompass those other identities. Um, and so I wanted to see about adding um, queer to that. And I think that there was under sexual orientation as well, adding queer to that. Assistant City Attorney Mary Garcia, thank you. Um, that's a, a, an excellent point. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, in the research, I did see that um, questioning was used on occasion. Sometimes it was and or questioning in, in combination with queer, but that additional word is definitely something that we could add to the, the definition section. Mayor Finkelaya, though. Questions? Maria, there was, I guess I have a question. The, um, you said about 20 states have these um, sorts of statutes. Do they, is the definition of conversion therapy very similar to what other, the states use? I mean, I know there's been some co correspondence that maybe it's too broad or or whatever, I just wanted to see how it compared to some of the other states and municipalities that you looked at. Um, Assistant City Attorney Maria Garcia. Um, actually, when I was researching this initially, I was surprised to, uh, to find that the great majority of state statutes and ordinances on this topic are substantially similar, that they have used each other's drafts. In fact, um, sometimes not word for word, but very, very similar. And so the answer to your question is most definitely the definition of conversion therapy here is very similar to other 
ways that other jurisdictions have defined it. Mayor Fingalai, thank you for that. And I know there's also an exclusion for clergy. I assume that's in the definition provider, that's common as well. Assistant City Attorney Maria Garcia, I would not say that it's common. I did find it in other uh, ordinances. For example, uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota excluded it from its definition. But um, even though the word religion or clergy was not mentioned in other laws, the definition of provider was very specific to mean somebody who provides a, a medical service or somebody who is otherwise licensed to provide that service. I think I thank you for that clarification. Other questions before we open it to public comment? Mayor Finkel, I see none. We'll open it up to public comment. If this is an item you'd like to give public comment on, we'd like you to raise your hand using the raise your hand feature. And Shay will call upon you. Um, and if you're in person, you can let her know that as well. Uh, this is Sherry Riedemann, City Clerk. Um, I just want to start by apologizing if I do not get anyone's name correct. Um, the first individual I'm going to start with is um, Enoru Wade. Hello. That was close enough. <laughs> um, good evening and thank you very much for this opportunity to speak. Uh, my name is Nora Wade. I'm a PhD student at the University of Kansas's School of Public Affairs and Administration. I'm the vice president of the Kansas City Center for Inclusion and the founder of the Midwest Rainbow Research Institute. Uh, my research agenda focuses on LGBTQIA populations and their relationship with governmental entities across the Midwest. I'm here today to speak in favor of the proposed policy change to outlaw so-called conversion therapy on minors. Having lived in Lawrence as well as what feels like a professional student, I realize and can attest to Lawrence being a very open and affirming community for those within the LGBTQIA community. Because of this point, uh, many people will say that what I'm asking of the commission is not necessary because an open and affirming community would not have instances of conversion therapy being practiced. Bluntly, I'm essentially being told that this doesn't happen here. Uh, this, of course, would be welcomed by any LGBTQI person's ear and bring comfort to open and affirming parents of LGBTQI children. However, simply because it does not happen here doesn't mean it won't happen here and because of that, it falls upon us to ensure that it can't happen here. Uh, conversion therapy might sound like a relic of history, not a prime matter of concern for the numerous crises we are facing at this particular moment. Many people might not even understand what it is, how it works, or its historical lineage. Uh, I do. Conversion therapy's birth and legacy uh, is, a pro is not really a product of the United States, but rather it's a relic of World War II and Nazi experimentation on gay individuals imprisoned and marked with a pink triangle during the Holocaust. At the conclusion of World War II, conversion therapy made its way to the United States as a way to combat America's growing, quote, gay problem. A sudden rise in legislatures passing sexual psychopath laws led to LGBTQIA people being arrested and sent to psychiatric institutions for treatment to fix their sexual orientation. 
the number of children and adults that come to the community center who have been through this barbaric and torturous practice are too high. It is in fact a relic of history, a relic of history that has no place within any modern city, state, or nation. It is ineffective in its stated goals and can actually lead to increased depression, self-harm, substance abuse, and even suicide. So I'm asking that you all vote in favor of outlawing this practice. We tend to think of policy as rules and regulations, but policy is also a reflection of our community values. And by outlawing this practice, the city of Lawrence would be reaffirming its values as an open and affirming home to all LGBTQIA people. Thank you. Marciana Vequist. Marciana, my name is Marciana Vequist, and I'm a licensed psychologist with a private practice in Lawrence. Thank you for the opportunity to make a statement on Ordinance 9828, which will ban the use of conversion techniques with minors. I strongly support this ordinance. In 1973, the American Psychiatric Association removed homosexuality from its diagnostic manual because it is widely known that a minority Minority sexual orientation is not a mental disorder, disorder that could be cured or treated. Sexual orientation involves an individual's sense of identity based on their attraction to men, women, or more than one gender. In 2013, the American Psychiatric Association removed gender identity disorder from the diagnostic manual. Gender identity refers to a person's basic sense of being male, female, or of indeterminate sex, and every person has a gender identity. The American Psychological Association, in agreement with the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the American Association for Marriage and Family Therapy, the American College of Physicians, the American Counseling Association, the American Medical Association, the American Psychiatric Association, the American Psychoanalytic Association, the American School Counselor Association, the American School Health Association, the National Association of Social Workers, the World Psychiatric Association, and the Federal Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration opposes the use of techniques intended to change sexual orientation from gay, lesbian, or bisexual to heterosexual because such techniques are not needed. There is no credible scientific evidence that they work, and there is a significant potential that they could cause harm to participants. Many who offer change efforts are not licensed mental health practitioners, and it is unclear what, if any, training or education they may have received to represent themselves as qualified. As of January 2018, an, an estimated 57,000 LGBTQ youth will undergo this practice from a religious or spiritual advisor. It's not appropriate to refer to conversion techniques as real therapy because they're based on the assumption that LGBTQ lifestyles are bad and not a normal part of the spectrum of gender expression or identity. A technique or therapy which defines a specific treatment outcome, such as the gender or sexual orientation conformity, is coercive, can be harmful, and is not an appropriate mental health treatment. Efforts to change an individual's sexual orientation or gender identity can encourage people to hide these aspects of their identity which can lead to mental health problems such as depression, sexual orientation, low self-esteem, and suicide. For these reasons and many others, I'm asking you to vote to adopt Ordinance 9828. Thank you. Chris Flowers. 
Hi, um, this is Chris Flowers, and I, I support this, but um, my question is, does this just go after uh, the therapist, or does this go after parents also? Because in Lawrence, um, I think the bigger threat's going to be uh, parents, because uh, if we disallow therapists from doing it, what's to stop the parents just from taking their kid to someone in Topeka or Kansas City? Um I know it'd be I I'm I don't know what the answer is, but I'm just it sounds like it that um, conversion therapy is basically psychological abuse. And if we're going to say this is psychological abuse, shouldn't we be doing something to protect the kids from their parents? If the if we had a problem where parents were abusing the kids but someone else was part of it also. Would we just go after them or wouldn't we also go after the parents? So I don't know what the answer to that is, but maybe it's just adding something so that it is psychological abuse. Maybe that gives child welfare ammunition to go after them or try to get them to stop. I don't know if it's something we do or the county, but it just seems I'd like to have something about what we can do with parents taking their kids because I, I think that's a bigger threat to Lawrence because if a therapist did I think there'd be a lot of protesters I think he'd just go to some other town where they're not as liberal to do his practice I think people with parents would just go there so that that's why I think the parents is like the bigger issue in this but I, I fully support what we have now so just, just throwing that out there thank you Maureen Murray. Um, my name is Maureen Murray. Um, I did send a, a written comment um, earlier today. I'm not sure, did, would the commissioners have been able to read that? Okay. Then um, I would just say that I would ask that you not adopt this um, ordinance tonight on first reading, that you honor the, the tradition. It sounds like there's a tradition of at least having two readings. Um, and that you consider um, really being more specific in the definition of conversion therapy. I appreciated the attorney's um, comments that substantially that definition is the same across the board at the different states and municipalities. However, um, I, I think because the only exemption, it looks to me like it's for pastors, there could be a case where there's a faith-based school or a faith-based situation where um, where a licensed therapist is needed who belongs to that faith-based organization. And that person should have the same exemption that the pastor would because the pastor doesn't necessarily have the correct um, therapeutic um, experience or knowledge. So I just ask that that be considered that that be broadened beyond just the pastors to pastoral workers. Um, some denominations don't have um, women in their pastorships. They would have a, they would maybe would have a women therapist or counselor. Um, I'm sorry, I'm not timing myself. So, so I ask that you not you not pass it tonight, but consider um, being more specific in the wording of the definition of conversion therapy. Um, I had a third point. I think the third point is simply that with the gender expression and gender fluid, there's so much fluidity um, that when we're speaking specifically about minors, um, if a minor doesn't know, um, is, is questioning and they're transitioning from one gender to another, or then they have questions about how do I transition back? 
I just think there can be a lot of confusion and a well-meaning licensed therapist who's already being regulated by the NASW or the American Psychological Association or the American Medical Association. They're already being under the scrutiny of a licensed agent, um, agency, I mean, that um, I don't think these people are going to be doing these horrible things that had been done in the past and certainly not, you know, what was done in Nazi Germany. Um, and I have no problem with obviously outlawing any of those things, but I just think in terms of conversation and typical conversational therapy, that there could be some questions that could be resolved if the definition were a little more clear. Okay. Thank you for your um, time. Uh, Sherry Reedeman, City Clerk, is there anyone else on Zoom that would like to speak to this item? If so, please uh, use the raise your hand feature or turn on your video and just raise your hand. Okay. Um. Hello, Eric Hyde. Love, there's a camera. Love, great. Incidental, beautiful questions, LGBTQ. All right, I support homosexuality. I support bisexuality. I support all sexuality. Well, not all sexuality. I do not support bestiality. Um, and I do not support having sex with uh, underage children. That is horrible. Um, let's see here. There's other sexes that I, sexuality that I do not support. However, I want to say that if you make this a totalitarian scheme to ban conversion therapy, that is an infringement on Lorenzian's rights. And why do I say that? I say that because there are people that do not want to be a certain way. For instance, I was raped when I was 19. I thought I was gay. I thought I was bisexual after I thought I was gay. Um, hmm, I'm not gay or bisexual. I converted myself back to heterosexuality. I came out of that closet, excuse me for saying that. Now, I would like to also remind you that you are completely wrong about Nazi Germany. I have done a vast research on Nazi Germany. They did not target only Hebrews. They targeted mainly Christians and Catholics. That's why the Pope was against them. That's why they redesigned all the Catholic and Christian churches during Nazi Germany. There were not, not as many Hebrews died in, in Nazi Germany as you think they did. So quit using false facts about World War II and Nazi Germany. Please do your research. Do not just, do, do not just repeat what others say. Do your research before you say things. However, I agree that we should ban conversion therapy at least halfway. We should find a happy medium so people can have it and people cannot have it. We should not have a totalitarian all 100% ban. That is against people's rights. Completely. Not completely, halfway, so I would say. So ban it, but also allow it. Somehow, figure it out. Your commissioners, do it. Don't just, and lastly, I have 20 seconds. Something I forgot to say, there are some uh, people that are homeless that have gender issues as well that we need to support whatever which way they want to go. 
However, I believe we should totally completely ban the homeless parking camping ordinance in the city so we can get the homeless people out of the camp so they stop harassing people, which I know people are often complaining about in the city. Thank you. It's all the public comment on this item, Mayor. Mayor Finkel die. Thank you. I'll bring it back to the commission for comments, questions, discussion. This is Commissioner Larson. I would uh, ask Maria um, if she could talk about the conversion therapy definition a little bit more. Because uh, what I read is it does allow for um, therapeutic services to be used just to um, explore identity and development. So if, if she could help me better understand that, I appreciate it. Considering what uh, Ms. Murray said, Ms. Murray. Assistant City Attorney Maria Garcia. Um, yes, I'm looking at the definition of conversion therapy and uh, Commissioner Larson, you, you stated it very well. Um, the definition is, is fairly broad. It means again, any practice counseling or purported treatment that seeks to change an individual's sexual orientation or gender identity including efforts to change behaviors or gender expressions or to eliminate or reduce sexual or romantic attractions or feelings toward individuals of the same gender. And there is a specific exception that is seen in other um, similar laws around the country, and that is that it is not conversion therapy to provide counseling or assistance to an individual who is exploring their identity and development or undergoing gender transition. And so um, there, there is that specific exemption carved out for somebody who um, needs assistance exploring those um, factors. Commissioner Larson, thank, thank you, Marie. This is Commissioner Ananda. Can you help me understand why clergy are exempted from this? Assistant City Attorney Maria Garcia, um, we did uh, really consider strongly whether to add that specific language about clergy in the, and um, because it doesn't exist in all laws that we looked at. Again, I pointed out Minneapolis, Minnesota as one. Otherwise, the laws around the country are just have a, have a very specific definition of provider. And when you read it, it would um, in, encompass only those people who are specifically listed. But the reason that we added language about um, religion or clergy is to um, attempt to avoid a potential First Amendment argument on the grounds of infringing on um, free exercise of religion and uh, Really, that's uh, that's the reason we were looking at First Amendment. I'm sorry for the pause. I was looking at my notes to make sure that I had mentioned everything I wanted to say about that. This is Commissioner Ananda. I would prefer to remove that language. Um, personally, I think that um, when we're talking about more than two times rate of suicide for folks who do and are subjected to this therapy, um, I'm not willing to carve out an exception for clergy to engage in this. Mayor Finkel, I, I, I guess my question for you, Maria, if we took that last section out, it, the first part only makes it apply to folks with a license. So would, would it cover religious even if we take that out? I, um somebody in the clergy or um, providing this service as part of a religious, um, in a religious manner would be, let me think about that. If we remove them, 
then the ordinance would not apply to them because unless they would be licensed under Chapter 65, I had to think about that, but um, even removing that would not penalize such persons from engaging it. There um, could be language added specific about how even in addition to people who are licensed under Chapter 65, it could include um, clergy or you know the language that's in the draft as also being a provider. But um, again, the reason that we, we left that out was to avoid potential um, issues with First Amendment. Mayor Finkelai, let me ask that question, make sure the different ways. So the, again, looking at the different states, you're saying, I think what you said earlier was most common is a definition of provider that relates to licenses. And then in a few occasions, they also add this additional exception. That, that's correct. Mayor Finkelai, thank you for that explanation. Thanks, Mayor Shipley. Um, Maria, I, I'm not finding it, so I'm wondering if maybe I read it in, in a different ordinance, but I seem to recall somewhere specifically saying um, that doing it uh, specifically for money, it seemed like there was the business portion of it was being singled out in a way. And I wondered if um, that also might help us in this gray area. Assistant City Attorney Maria Garcia, there is language in some other um, municipalities. I, um, Roland Park is coming to mind that um, the service is prohibited when the provider is getting paid for the service. Um, Roland Park specifically has a business license within its city, and so it is regulating this conduct as part of the business license. And so if somebody is getting money for the service, then um, in that case, it can be penalized. But it is not in our in this draft ordinance, um, but it is in some other municipalities. This is Commissioner Ananda. Wouldn't um, a clergy member engaging in this kind of treatment be unlicensed practice? Perhaps. Um, if they are purporting to provide a service that they're licensed to provide, then I think that that very well could be. This is Commissioner Ananda. Again, I would prefer to remove the, the exception for clergy. And I would also argue that if they're engaging in the unlicensed practice of therapeutic services, then that's also a problem that should be addressed. This is Commissioner Boley. Um, I support the ordinance, but I'm very reluctant to insert the city in between the relationship between a clergyman, clergy, someone in the clergy and um, a member of their congregation. This is Commissioner. Commissioner oh, go ahead, Commissioner Larson. Uh, yeah, Commissioner Larson, um, would that have any, um, the, the fact that, you know, we have the separation of church and state, is that a, a potential problem if we keep, if we take that, if we take it out or leave it in, um, would we be violating that? Assistant City Attorney Maria Garcia, um, 
I, I can't say for sure whether such language would be challenged in the city. Um, I can tell you that on occasion, um, ordinances and state laws across the country have been challenged for various reasons, and courts have, you know, been split on topics um, outside, not just necessarily this religious piece, but um, these are ordinances that do on occasion get challenged. And so I think that um, making it very specific or including or excluding certain groups would need to be um, really thoroughly thought out and and perhaps researched in addition. Thank you. This is Commissioner Ananda. I think that, um, you know, the protected class within our city of gender identity, gender expression, sexual orientation takes precedence for me when it's likely to be their death um, as a result of engaging in this. Um, so again, I just, I think that we can remove that without violating those items. Um, that's, I feel pretty firm about that, I guess. And, and that protected class of those children who are being exposed to that, who are again, more than twice as likely to commit suicide with already abhorrent rates of student suicide for um, transgender youth particularly, but also LGBT youth who are li more likely to end up homeless to engage in that um, within this community is, is frankly abhorrent. You're muted, Courtney. Vice, yeah. I unmuted myself. Um, Vice Mayor Shipley, sorry, everyone. Um, I will try to be sure I understand a couple points. I think the mayor and Commissioner Anand have made, I understand them right. They're both attorneys, so they're way over my head, I'm sure. Um, that if uh, clergy is not mentioned here, they would still be exempt in as much as they are not trained professionals who are licensed. Assistant City Attorney Maria Garcia. So the, the ordinance currently states in section 6-2104 that it shall be unlawful for any provider to provide conversion therapy to a minor. It's not any person to provide it. And so if the definition of provider um, is amended to exclude or delete that last sentence referring to members of the clergy, then uh, it would still prohibit um, anyone licensed under Chapter 65 from providing conversion therapy. I'm not sure that it would necessarily prohibit clergy as well from providing conversion therapy, just because the way that it's currently written is that it's unlawful for a provider. And so, uh, like I said, if, if the point or the desire of the commission is to specifically state that conversion therapy can also not be provided by clergy, then that language would need to be more direct in there um, as opposed to just um, the language exempting it. I think that it relates to a question that you had earlier, Mayor, and your question was, was removing the last sentence really accomplishing what uh, Commissioner Ananda was looking for? This is Commissioner Ananda. I will acknowledge that it doesn't bar clergy from engaging in that practice, but for the fact that they're practicing without a license, um, which is 
at their own risk and um, subject to penalty should that be discovered, right? Mayor Finkelberg, Maria, can, I know you said you went back and forth on whether or not to put that second sentence in. I guess I wanted to hear one more time why in the end you decided to do that. Um, it, it was something that was considered um, very thoughtfully on whether to add that language. And I did notice that it's not um, the most common language for uh, defining a provider. Um, the reason that I added it in there was other, you know, another jurisdiction had it and it seemed like a reasonable way to avoid potential um, arguments challenging the ordinance on First Amendment grounds. And that's really the heart of it. It, it was a legal matter weighing the risk of it. And so we decided to include it. Mayor Finkelai, other comments or questions by commissioners? Further discussion? Commissioner Larson, um, I'm just trying to wrap my head around this, the provider part of it. Um, so the ordinance does, it states that it's, it's unlawful for any, any provider to provide conversion therapy to a minor. So if you aren't licensed under chapter 65, um, you're just a you know average business person with no licenses, could they still do conversion therapy um, without you know breaking this ordinance? Likely not. Um, it, the, I'm sorry, Assistant City Attorney Maria Garcia. So the the way that provider is defined um, at the end of the first sentence states and any professional licensed under Chapter 65, but it also includes someone who is licensed, certified, or a registered. Um, I'm sorry. Counselor, psychologist, clinical social workers, family therapists, psychiatrists, certified substance abuse counselors, certified school counselors, behavior analysts, and any professional licensed under Chapter uh, 65. So a person would not necessarily have a license under Chapter 65, but could be a school counselor. For example, they would be considered a provider under this language. Okay, so does this include just anybody off the street who wants to who feels as though they need to get into this business of conversion therapy without any license at all. Does this prevent that? No, it does not because the definition of provider specifically set states that that person would be licensed, certified, or registered to provide particular services. So it would not include just any person in the city. Commissioner okay. Larson, thank you. Mayor Finkelberg. Again, Maria, so, but that definition of provider is something that's used most commonly. That uh, assistant city attorney, Maria Garcia, our um, language is a little bit different in this draft, of course, because we're referencing chapter 65 and that is unique to Kansas. And so that language is not across the board in all of the states and municipalities that we looked at. It is very similar to how other jurisdictions have defined provider, but not, uh, not identical. I, uh, I'll add also, I'm looking at the Roland Park 
example that um, the commission was interested in and their definition is very, very similar. Um, and it references chapter 65 as well, as well as licensed medical or mental health professionals, counselors, um, family therapists, et cetera. Mayor Finkelbein, other comments, questions, motions, thoughts? This is Commissioner Renanda. Before we open it to public comment, I had also mentioned um, the possibility of adding the word queer um, to the definition of sexual orientation as well as um, LGBT. And I wanted to see what commissioners thought about that. Mayor Finkelbein, first, we've already had public comments, so we're good there, but um, I certainly had no problem. Certainly adding queer and, and, and changing that, I certainly support that. Commissioner Arson, I'm fine with that change. I think I guess on the definition provider, I would, uh, I think I'd defer to, to staff and the research they did on it um, and leave it, leave it as proposed would be my preference. This is Commissioner Ananda Maria. Is there any risk by making an exception for clergy when we've defined this how we have of giving them permission to operate without a license? Could you, Assistant City Attorney Maria Garcia, could you rephrase that? I'll look at the definition while you're you're um, asking. This is Commissioner. Ananda. Did I cut out? Did my question get through? Um, it did, and I asked if you could rephrase it. Um, I was going to pull up the definition of provider. Okay. You asked whether what the risk was related to Thank um, you. the language. Okay, so this is Commissioner Ananda. Um, the question that I asked is, are we at risk for um, basically giving permission to clergy to operate without a license, um, given the definition that we've used of conversion therapy, because that would require a license in order to engage it. So by exempting them, are we giving them permission to operate without a license, or is there a risk of being perceived in that way? I mean, you know, there there may be risk. How high the risk is, I'm I'm really not sure. Um, the the language currently for provider is that it is not a provider for members of the clergy who are acting in it. I think that was to clarify that this is um, somebody who is not acting necessarily with a chapter 65 licensed or, or somebody else. Um, it states, and who are not performing under the authority of a license issued by any regulatory board under chapter 65 of Kansas statutes. And so um, perhaps there is risk. I think that you know, we could make a good argument for removing the language um, or keeping it in. Again, this was a recommendation. So, I'll, you know, I can say again that these types of ordinances have, have been challenged on occasion, but it, it is your ordinance. And so you could evaluate potential risk versus, you know, the language that you would want to include. 
I'm, I'm not sure that's very helpful. I, I mean, all I can say is it's unknown at this time whether it would be challenged and on what grounds, but there is always a possibility that it might be, no matter what the language states. This is Commissioner Bowley. Um, you know, I'm. It's my perception that counseling is part of a clergy person's role at times and that they're not needing a license to do um, counseling as part of their role. If I'm wrong, I'd like to hear about it. Mayor. Sorry, Mayor, I'm trying to unmute you. Tony, would you like to say something? Sorry. Uh, City Attorney Tony Wheeler. Commissioners, if you would um, prefer to have additional legal advice on this, we're certainly uh, happy to have that discussion, but we would prefer to have that discussion in executive session. Mayor Finkel, I, um, so it, it looks like maybe we have a, well, we have obviously have several options. We can uh, defer this to another date to talk more about it and get some, some more legal advice. Um, or I guess we could adopt it as written, or we could go ahead, I guess, and, and adopt it with a change. But what are folks thinking here? This Commissioner Bowley, um, it's possible we could adopt it on first reading, do an executive session, and should make whatever changes are needed on second reading. This is Commissioner Anana. I guess I'll make clear this isn't about the legal arguments for me. I think that we could have risky legal arguments either way. And the way that I'm willing to lean is saving lives, particularly for children. Um, and leaving out a sentence changes this not at all. Um, and that's really important to me. Uh, so that is where I sit on this, regardless of, of where other folks sit at this moment. This is Commissioner Larson. And, you know, I'm just kind of struggling so uh, this definition of provider, because I don't understand um, why uh, members of the clergy, uh, license, uh, member, include members of the clergy or is in this particular definition when if they're not licensed um, or don't fall under chapter 65, really, it's a moot point. They're, they're not covered under this um, as a provider. So I do not understand for that reason. I mean, they're going to... Um, provide their services as um, they see fit, you know, according to their, their religious beliefs. Um, but um, at the same time, I, I struggle with getting in between um, a pastor, a preacher, or a priest um, and their congregant. Um, it, you know, I struggle with that. Um, this Commissioner Bowley, I guess, um, you know, we've had suggestion from council that we discuss the legal issues in executive session, I think we need to respect that. Um, and um, I guess I, I would suggest that we consider approving it on first reading and have an executive session 
to be able to resolve, or we could defer. Commissioner, I'd be fine with deferring it, and um, if, if staff believes we need an executive session on it, then go from there. Ms. Commissioner Bully, I move to defer and schedule an executive session. Commissioner Arson, I second. Mayor Fingal, a motion and a second to um, defer. Are there any other comments before we take that vote? I just want to make sure. If not, Commissioner Bully? Sorry, Mayor. Aye. Is there a specific time you're wanting to defer this to? Sorry, Sherry Reedman, City Clerk. I mean, are you just deferring this to the next meeting or? Uh, this commissioner Bully, I would suggest uh, ex expeditious handling of this. Yes. Okay. Um, Mayor Finkel died. There was a, a motion and a second. Um, it was moved by Commissioner Bully, seconded by Commissioner Lawson. So, Commissioner Bully? Aye. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Ananda? Yeah. Mayor Finkel, aye. Passes 41 to defer um, and to have an executive session expeditiously. Thank you for the, that item. Um, we will move now to item number two, which is to receive an update on the 12 goals of the criminal justice and social justice reform identified by the City Commission in June 2020. And Brandon, do you have the start of this? Yes. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Yes, this is uh, Assistant City Manager Brandon McGuire. Um, and I may, just before I start, ask if uh, Commissioner Ananda wants to provide any preliminary comments. Otherwise, I'll go ahead with my uh, presentation as I've planned it. This is Commissioner Ananda. Go ahead, Brandon. Thank you. Great. Yeah. Um, so again, Assistant City Manager Brandon McGuire. Um, I wanted to take this opportunity kind of following up on some discussion over the last um, couple couple weeks uh, with the city commission about the uh, the 12 um, item work plan that was identified last June. Um, and really this is just uh, a relatively informal um, presentation to provide an update in, in discussion around uh, those items. Um, and uh, I, I um, want to provide some context about ongoing work uh, that directly links to um, many of the items on that list. Uh, just to clarify, there is no action item associated with the agenda report or any of the individual uh, work items on the list tonight. Um, I want to make it more conversational to provide an opportunity for the commissioners to discuss the list. Um, so please jump in with questions or additional comments as you wish as I uh, go through the report. Um, and I, I will also ask uh, and defer a little bit um, throughout the the update to uh, Captain Tripp McKinley, who's on the call tonight, as well as Commissioner Nanda to provide some additional perspective from their, their work within the police department and criminal justice coordinating council respectively. And so uh, without further ado, I will attempt to share my screen. And Porter, I assume that that I can just do that as usual. Yes. Great. 
Okay, so it looks like we're there. So uh, my plan tonight is just to walk through the report, uh, which is available um, through the link, uh, the attachment link on the agenda memo for this item. And so uh, for for task number one, um, which is the decriminalization of behaviors related to houselessness, drug use or addiction, mental health, and non-person crimes and removal of, of those fines associated with the items. Um, I want to, uh, to highlight kind of a theme uh, that, that you'll hear throughout um, this update, which is that uh, work, work on this uh, particular item, um, while there may be some work uh, in parallel that's ongoing through um, existing avenues, uh, much of the work uh, we would anticipate to um, occur after we receive our uh, police consultant report. Um, so just as a general reminder to anybody paying attention to this, um, to this presentation, uh, we have engaged a consultant and that occurred last October, um, CityGate Associates out of California. Uh, they are an objective third-party expert uh, consultant providing um, public safety and, and police expertise. And so uh, they have been working um, uh, diligently over the last several months uh, on a, an extensive analysis of our police department. Uh, I, we actually just received a um, mid-project briefing um, that provides, uh, that, that provided um, more or less kind of the, the structure of the report that we can anticipate and um, some preliminary talking points from the consultant about uh, themes that they've identified um, that they plan on presenting recommendations on. Uh, we did um, intentionally scope much of these tasks much of this list into that project and I was happy to hear um, in that mid-project briefing that um, a lot of the themes in their report really do align nicely with um, this list uh, so that was a that was a good update that we had on on that and you'll hear me reference that report several times um, related to each of these tasks and so this one in particular um, is one uh, that we we do have um, we, we do have a number of um, avenues ongoing, uh, whether it's the Criminal Justice Coordinating Council or some of the behavioral and mental health initiatives um, that are really being convened by uh, our county partners. Um, but this is one in particular where uh, we would anticipate additional work coming after we've received that consultant report within approximately the next 45 to 60 days. And I will say there's a typo on this particular, on, or on this, um, first item, I apologize for that. Uh, the intention there before um, before we uploaded it to the agenda was to provide a statement about the camping ordinance, uh, which was revised um, last year, uh, earlier, uh, which um, does provide um, to some extent some decriminalization of um, camping that may have previously been prohibited. Uh, task number two uh, was to establish a mental health and addiction crisis response team and reallocate funds from law enforcement to partners or employees in these areas to address these issues. So I, I will say there is a, a lot of work going on in the behavioral, mental health, and addiction um, uh, space. Uh, much of that work is convened by uh, Douglas County and is done in collaboration with um, multiple community partner agencies, whether that's um, Burt Nash or um, some of the, the lead agencies serving um, our county as well as other, other counties and other um, communities in the um, addiction, addiction field. Um, and so uh, 
the consultant, the police consultant, City Gate Associates, um, they have done an extensive um, engagement, stakeholder engagement and, and community listening process. Uh, we were intentional about connecting them, particularly with um, two of the county coordinators in this space, Bob Triansky, who is working as the behavioral health coordinator with the county, and uh, Mike Brower who is working as the criminal justice uh, coordinator with the county. And the consultants uh, did a deep dive, uh, in, in, did deep dive interviews with, um, uh, with th the coordinators, as well as some of the organizations that they work collaboratively with. Um, and we do anticipate receiving um, some, some substantial analysis and discussion about our community's aspirational goals uh, related to uh, mental health addiction and our abilities to um, provide uh, expert um, and uh, you know well-trained, informed response to uh, people who are experiencing crisis, um, and, and we would also expect uh, them to really provide some um, some analysis about uh, where we're at currently as a community and what it's going to take to get to where they hear that we want to go. Um, so. Uh, it, I, I anticipate a lot more discussion coming once we receive that report, um, especially discussion about uh, um, prioritization of effort and resources to accomplish some of the goals in this space. Task number three uh, st is, is stated as law enforcement should not respond to other city ordinance violations, including complaints about noise, lawns, or vehicles, allocating these violations or complaints to relevant departments or a single department that responds to such issues, along with proportional funding dedicated to these events. Um, so uh, this is one where uh, there's kind of an interesting um, interesting phenomenon in that uh, there has been um, a quite a bit of incremental shifting of what would historically or traditionally be a law enforcement response in Lawrence um, to a non-law enforcement, uh, non-uniformed or non-sworn uh, um, employee who's responding to um, either requests for service uh, or, um, or I guess, first contacts um, with people seeking seeking assistance from the city with some sort of lower, what I would consider lower level type offenses um, or of, of ordinance violations. And so uh, I, I will say that the, the police consultants report will um, provide us with quite a bit of uh, context that will help us identify what, um, what additional tasks and services we should target for taking off of um, sort of the police plate, the traditional police law enforcement response plate. Um, and we look forward to having that, that discussion. But I wanted to uh, invite uh, Captain McKinley to just provide um, some, some comments about uh, the recent history related to, um, to alternative response in some of these lower level um, areas, lower level offense areas, and uh, give some context for uh, what's gone on um, here in the last several years and kind of where we stand today. So Captain McKinley, if you want to jump in, please go ahead. Sure. Thank you, Brandon. This is Captain Trent McKinley, the Lawrence Police Department. Um, to um, kind of expand a little bit on what uh, you've touched on, this has been an incremental process. Um, I'll go back to um, the middle of the year of 2017. In 2017, we moved um, one parking control manager, six parking 
American employees and 10 uh, crossing guard part-time employees out of from underneath the police umbrella, move those to municipal services. And so uh, we have been moving some things uh, such as enforcement of downtown meters and things like that away from the police department and to other uh, departments. That particular shift was in combination with uh, looking at the overall downtown parking and management of that and kind of tying all those projects in together. So it made good sense to, to make that move at the time. Uh, also about the same time, uh, we were coordinating uh, quite a bit with codes enforcement. So um, oftentimes when people don't know who to call, they do call the police and we'll relate uh, a number of concerns that they may have. Some of those concerns have to do with property management code, uh, graffiti, trash, and other things uh, such as uh, vehicles parked in a backyard and those sorts of things. Those are handled by the city's uh, planning and development services through codes enforcement. And we've coordinated those tasks for a number of years. Uh, much of that was person-to-person uh, -person coordination. Uh, but in recent years, we've also uh, tied in some automation to that through the uh, city's Lawrence Listens um, webpage. So we have a webpage. We also have an app where individuals can come in and report certain things such as abandoned vehicles, vandalism, graffiti, signs and signals issues. Again, these were things that traditionally had been uh, handled by and large, at least on the onset, by the police department. So uh, these tools have also helped us kind of move some of these things out away from the uh, police department realm uh, to other city departments that can assist with that. Um, also, to, I'll touch on a couple of other civilian type things that the police department's been doing. Uh, we've brought some part-time individuals into the police department that are civilians. Uh, these civilians are, are doing some things such as assisting our investigations groups. Uh, one assists uh, our directed investigations and helps us provide uh, additional work on case clearance, uh, case status, follow-up with, with individuals. Uh, we also has one, one civilian investigator that's worth working with the special victims unit. Um, so the special victims Victims unit, if you're not familiar with that, is a unit that's assigned to complete uh, follow-up investigations on sexual assaults, things like that. We've brought in victim advocates, and uh, we're working to pair those part-time civilian employees with other specialists in that field to do some, provide some wraparound services there. We also have a civilian individual uh, that has been a long-term employee with the police department. Uh, worked as an animal control officer for a period of time and then came in and answered uh, non-emergency calls over the phone. Uh, we've transitioned that employee to what we've kind of dubbed as a mobile teleserve, a, a civilian employee who actually goes out and handles some uh, non-emergency, uh, non-urgent uh, or dangerous type of, of calls for police service. So maybe to come out and collect a piece of evidence, maybe to go and retrieve uh, a uh, video that an individual has recorded of a crime, that sort of thing. Uh, so they are, uh, again, civilians. They're not driving police-marked vehicles. Uh, they're driving vehicles that are marked as, as City of Lawrence, and they're supplementing those police services uh, in a civilian role. We also have civilians that are serving as evidence custodians, evidence collection specialists, and civilian public affairs. So all of those positions also were handled by our sworn staff in the past. So we're doing some transition work to um, bring some civilian uh, positions in uh, and also move some, some of our sworn positions or uh, positions that had been previously been under the police department 
to other city departments ed, as we did with the uh, NSO example. And then lastly, I'll just touch on uh, what Brandon touched on with uh, task number two that relates to mental illness and uh, what we're doing to uh, work with that uh, population. Uh, as you're probably aware for a number of years, uh, since probably about 2014, we worked very hard to uh, get our officers CIT trained so that officers can respond to individuals that are in mental health crisis. Uh, in addition to that, uh, a model that has been very popular across the country is a co-responder model. If you're not familiar with that, that is pairing uh, a um, mental health clinician uh, who is a civilian uh, with a law enforcement officer so that we can co-respond to some of those situations. So again, having that civilian specialist who is there and on scene, not only to handle the in-progress things, but to handle some of those follow-up calls as well. And to use some of the services and uh, support that that, um, that worker has with the Burt Nash program and other types of services that we may be able to uh, transition that person to or get that person support with. So, um, and that program has been in effect since uh, June of 2017. Uh, and that is a position that is uh, funded out of the police department's budget. So, Brandon, did I miss anything else that you wanted me to touch on? No, I think, I think that's it. Thank you, Captain McKinley, uh, Assistant City Manager Brandon McGuire. Um, and, and I think, I think the takeaway there, um, related to task number three is, uh, that, that there is, um, there has been quite a bit of work done on, um, transitioning services that uh, may have previously been, uh, addressed by a uniformed law enforcement officer to, um, civilian staff. And so I think, I think what we would look forward to is, uh, the CityGate report, um, which will provide more of a focused, intentional, strategic um, uh, plan for how we uh, how we make additional advancements in that regard, and I think that there's a lot of opportunities um, to do that. That uh, the police department and um, all of my discussions have been very open to. So I'm optimistic about the future related to that particular task. These next few, I'll probably uh, skim through uh, relatively quickly because they've more or less been um, checked off from the staff perspective. So this is more of just kind of a check-in to make sure uh, we have a consistent understanding with the commissioners. Task four uh, states um, community police review board and human relations commission should meet and provide an opportunity for the community to engage in, in the conversations. The board should be urged to consider the use of eight can't wait campaign zero and uh, GARE as resources and guides through this process. Um, so uh, the, I, I know that um, each of the boards uh, met separately uh, last summer and received uh, presentations on the, uh, the GARE, Government Alliance on Race and Equity Toolkit. Um, and uh, there has been uh, a number of uh, work products that have come out since that from uh, both of those boards, including the HRCs, uh, survey on systemic racism, uh, the Community Police Review Board uh, working on a comprehensive um, rewrite of its authorizing ordinance. And as part of that process, uh, the, the Police Review Board conducting a Lawrence Listens engagement survey, uh, which was it actually received um, one of the highest response rates of any of our Lawrence Listen surveys uh, to date. So uh, for purposes of that task, um, staff considers uh, considers that essentially complete. 
Task number five was for the city to actively engage with Douglas County in discussions to reduce the jail population. Um, and I, th I think that uh, you know, we would point back to last July um, when the criminal justice coordinator from the county came and uh, presented to the city commission on this particular item. Um, since that time, uh, well, shortly after that time, the city manager uh, joined the criminal justice coordinating council and is an active uh, member and participant in those meetings. Um, and, and I would just point to the fact that uh, this work really is um, ongoing and, and coordinated at the county level with the city um, staff and city commission being a uh, key and, and major stakeholder uh, through that CJCC process. Task number six was to authorize the mayor to commit to the Obama Foundation's mayor challenge. Uh, that did occur shortly after um, the list was published. And uh, I, I would also say that um, our uh, consultant study um, really fulfills um, uh, much of the four commitments related to that challenge. Um, it's not, you know, obviously their, their process, their study is not quite as narrowly scoped um, to focus um, uh, you know, pretty narrowly on use of force policies, uh, but analysis of the use of force policy is certainly a part of that study. Uh, it's just a much more broad um, engagement process. So um, from the staff perspective, uh, for purposes of this list, we, we do consider this task to be complete. Task number seven was to plan and conduct a listening session with the city commission and community members where community members can share ideas on how to move on this action plan. Um, again, we, we uh, stated back in, in October when we hired CityGate Associates that we were going to drive this action plan through that contract, through that consultant study. Um, and we designed uh, a public listening and public engagement process, um, and, and as well as some of our um, internal stakeholders with employees um, and elected and appointed officials uh, to get a lot of face time with the consultant. Um, we, we are, you know, we are proud of the engagement uh, process that we were able to pull off. It certainly wasn't without some bumps and bruises and, and uh, definitely some, some um, takeaway lessons for how we can do it even better next time. Um, you know, this is not an engagement process uh, that, that would um, be comparable to most of our other engagement processes when you think about land use um, uh, zoning or infrastructure projects uh, or even parks and rec master planning. Um, this, this was a very uh, unique process in that um, people were invited to participate and their participation uh, really drew on their own very personal experiences. Um, and we had some very, very vulnerable conversations uh, in those listening forums. So for that, for that reason, this was not an overly public um, process. We wanted to provide appropriate space for people to be able to share their stories and speak very candidly with the consultants. Um, but uh, we did offer um, a couple of uh, open forums uh, where um, community members could engage uh, in, in that public engagement process, as well as a, a, um, a phone number for a voice a mailbox and an email address. And I know that um, the email address in particular, which is monitored exclusively by the consultants and not by city staff, um, has, has uh, actually 
uh, garnered quite a bit of, of input. So uh, we were very intentional about the design of, of the public listening process as part of the study. And we feel like um, largely this, is, this task has been um, completed uh, as a result of that process. Task number eight was to pursue accreditation of law enforcement, or uh, CALEA, um, which is the, the accreditation through the Commission on Accreditation of Law Enforcement Agencies. Um, we are planning on undertaking that, have been for a while. Um, we, we aren't necessarily dependent on the consultant study to um, begin that process. Uh, that process honestly has been ongoing for a while. I would even point to um, several of the design elements in the police facility as um, as being uh, requisites for um, the accreditation itself. And so uh, uh, for purposes of this tracking list, uh, we consider this task to be complete. Task number nine was to revisit the requirements to be appointed as uh, members of the Community Police Review Board. Um, I will say that uh, the the board um, last uh, September, I believe it was, uh, forwarded a recommendation to the city commission to expand the membership. Um, the city commission uh, returned that recommendation to the board with the direction to prepare a comprehensive uh, set of recommendations and um, also to engage uh, city staff, uh, community members, and uh, the police consultant. Uh, the board has uh, since undertaken a, a comprehensive, a, a a project to comprehensively redraft uh, their authorizing ordinance. Um, they have uh, um, taken a, a, a vote to um, confirm that they have uh, completed their draft. Um, but since that point, they have uh, conducted the Lawrence Listens engagement uh, process. And over the next month or two, I expect them to work through um, the substantial volume of feedback they've received um, in response to that Lawrence Listen survey uh, related to this draft ordinance. Um, yeah, uh, the, the city staff uh, recommendation related to this particular task is that they, um, they take time to process that feedback from the community specific to the ordinance, as well as um, uh, wait and consider the consultant's report, um, uh, which will uh, specifically uh, provide some analysis about systems of accountability and uh, Emergency, emerging, emerging, and best practices related to um, community review boards or community oversight boards uh, that other that other communities have in place around the country, um, and so we expect uh, several pages of their report to be dedicated um, specifically to this topic, and would encourage uh, the CPRB to wait and consider that uh, feedback as well as the community's Lawrence listens feedback prior to forwarding their ordinance to the city commission. Task number 10 was to reconsider chapter 13 of the city's of the city code, uh, which charges law enforcement with their role in the community. Um, this is a fairly brief and very broad um, ordinance. Uh, the consultant is is not going to go necessarily line by line and, and offer us a new ordinance um, to replace chapter 13. Um, but we we certainly would expect um, the the consultant's report, uh, which will serve as a sort of master plan for the department uh, to quite possibly um, result in uh, in revisions to the authorizing ordinance um, for the, the chief of police and the police department. Uh, so we could see some work on chapter 13 of the code um, definitely spinning out of uh, the consultant's reports or the consultant's report and recommendations contained in that report. 
Number 11 was to consider community safety broadly, including public health, economic equality, environmental design, and other primary prevention-focused safety considerations to invest and, and invest accordingly. Uh, we would point again to the um, consultant report, but even more so um, the the city's strategic plan, um, of which there is an action just tonight on the consent agenda, uh, really speaks to this this space. Um, and so uh, we would we would really encourage the commission to drive additional work on this. Um, you know this this goal, this task, through the strategic plan, uh, and especially that safe and secure outcome, and then several of our commitments, including equity and inclusion, um, and community engagement. Uh, I can tell you, we have had uh, members even of our public health department uh, serving uh, on the safe and secure outcome team as we have developed KPIs and strategies um, for that particular outcome. Um, and so we are trying to take a, a broad and um, I think, as you will see in the, the upcoming presentation discussion about our strategies, an engaging and collaborative approach to really think about safe and secure as an outcome at a community level, uh, much more than just the police and just the fire and EMS department, which are you know, squarely under the city's purview, uh, but instead to think about it much more collaboratively and in, in, in an interdisciplinary way. And then finally, task 12 is to establish an intervention team for community members experiencing homelessness. Um, we do have an intervention team in the community in the form of the Burton Ash Homeless Outreach Team. Uh, they are the primary outreach provider uh, for people experiencing homelessness in the community. Um, it is a small team, and they are uh, most certainly over um, uh, under-resourced and, and uh, over-tasked. Um, I think that I can speak you know, candidly about that. And I think that we would all acknowledge that um, based on uh, the, last, the last year of our experiences in this area. Um, I, I will say also that uh, typically um, the police department, unless it is a call um, or in, in, unless the police department is responding to a call for service or an emergency call um, where, where a crime is being reported or somebody has been the victim of a crime, um, the first, first touch with um, community members experiencing homelessness is not always and, and maybe not typically with our police department. Um, our Parks and Rec Department, uh, quite frankly, uh, often serves as that, that first point of contact um, and uh, uh, Department Director Derek Rogers and his his staff, um, in particular, um, uh, Mitch Young, uh, Tyler Fike, and and several others working in our field operations uh, within the park spaces, they they tend to really be a first point of contact um, on a weekly basis, if not daily basis. They're doing check ins uh, with people who are. Uh, you know, finding their home in our in our um, city parks, and so uh, they work very collaboratively, um, very frequently with uh, the Burton Ash Homeless Outreach Team, um, uh, and the Lawrence Community Shelter and other service providers in the community uh, to try to provide support uh, for community members experiencing homelessness. So I would just say that this work is ongoing. Uh, we also have a presentation planned next week, which uh, is intended to provide sort of an orientation to um, the coordinated entry system and the continuum of care and the um, services that exist and the systems that exist to uh, provide um, uh, support for our uh, individuals and families experiencing homelessness in the community and try to get those folks um, into, into stable housing. And so uh, maybe we, we um, look forward to 
having more discussion in depth about that with some of the experts working in that field uh, at, the, at the next city commission meeting next week. So that ends uh, my talking points. Um, I will open it up to the city commission uh, for any comments or additional points that they would like to, to land. This is Commissioner Renata. I just wanted to kind of provide a brief update of what the CJCC has been doing in a little bit more detail, just so that you all have that. I know that they're doing a lot. There are a lot of kind of subcommittees within that group who are doing a lot of work. Um, we have been over the first few years that I was on the CJCC really working on mental health screenings when, and when, when folks are placed in jail, um, looking at severe and persistent mental illness as well as addiction and the co-occurrence of those items, reducing their lengths of stay as well as recidivism. And that work has had a significant impact on um, their lengths of stay as well as recidivism. I don't know that the impact on the recidivism has been as extensive as um, the length of stay, but it has been really impressive work in coordination with, um, um, now the name of the organization is flooding my mind and I apologize for that to them because they really are amazing and doing amazing work across the country. And Douglas County is one of the stars of the work that they are doing. Um, we're also doing the law enforcement contact study that has been taking longer than we would have liked because of COVID. Um, fewer folks were on the road and so they are still working to get um, a statistically sound number of contacts in order to do that. And um, they have been really impressed with with the cooperation from all of our law enforcement agencies throughout the entire county. Um, that includes Baldwin, Eudora, uh, Lawrence, KU, um, as well as the Sheriff's Department. So um, we, are, we are waiting on that. And I think everyone is kind of tapping um, our heels, grateful that we don't have that data right, but um, also uh, just really looking forward to the conclusion of that study so that we can have a conversation about that. Um, we are also doing, um, I am the chair of the race and equity, or I'm sorry, the um, race and ethnic um, disparities work group. And um, we are working with um, Dr. Craven as he collects data, both from the county and city, um, as well as the police department and sheriff department, um, including like geomapping, really looking at the micro and macro issues that the community are facing to, to kind of look at where are the seeds of um, disparate treatment particularly in regard to race within our criminal justice system. And then um, the mental health team that Brandon mentioned that Bob Transky has really been um, the leader on and really providing really good um, guidance on that uh, around the implementation of 988 and our mental health response team. And I think that there are a lot of opportunities for the city to get involved in that. One of the things that we've been discussing through the CJCC is that it's not a decision-making body. The folks on this board are folks who are engaged in um, the, the criminal justice system. And there are some uh, lawmakers within that group on the, from the city commission, from the, the county commission, um, but they are th that is not their purpose. And we have really put a lot of thought and effort into the purpose of the CJCC 
but I do think that there's a lot of room for collaboration. I think that there's a lot of room for talking about how the city wants to financially participate in some of those endeavors and how we can cooperate to make them effective, not only for the county, but for, for Lawrence as well. Um, so those are kind of the biggest projects. And I, I think it depends on who you ask, who they what they think are the biggest projects that they're working on. But I see those having the biggest impact in regard to the 12 items that Brandon talked to us about tonight. Mayor Finkelai, thank you, Brandon. Thank you, Commissioner Nanda, for those updates. Uh, one question I had, Brandon, when are we, what's to remind everyone, including myself, the timeline on City um, CityGate and the report? Yes, uh, Assistant City Manager Brandon McGuire. Uh, thank you for the question, Mayor. Uh, we, we actually just received the mid-project um, executive briefing, and uh, we would look forward at this point now to, ha to have the first draft report in our hands uh, within about 45 to 60 days, depending on how much feedback we give them based on that meeting. Yeah, I and, and, and I might add, I'm sorry to interrupt, Mayor, but I might add um, then, so so the goal um, or the plan is to present the draft report. When it's first presented, uh, it's not going to be presented as the final draft. Um, the idea then would be to receive additional public feedback and feedback from the um, city commissioners uh, and maybe even go back with some of our uh, stakeholder groups and listening groups and do a check-in to close the feedback loop and make sure that um, you know the, the, the input that was provided through the public engagement process truly is reflected in the report that they've um, that they've submitted. Mayor Pingle, I just so probably by at least maybe June sometime, we'll have a pretty, you know, a, a report for people to to respond to, including ourselves. Correct. Thank you for that. Other questions for Brandon, or even Commissioner Nanda at this point, um, before we open it up to public comment. Seeing none, we'll go ahead and open this to public comment. Um, if any member of the public would like to comment on this, um, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature or let Sherry know if you're present at City Hall. This is Sherry Reedman, City Clerk. Uh, Mayor, no one has indicated that they want to provide comment on this, and there is no one in the commission room. Oh, you're muted. Mayor Fingley, Sherry, <laughs> we can't hear you. Sorry, Mayor. Um, this is Sherry Reedman, City Clerk. Um, there is no public comment on this item. Mayor Finkeldye, thank you. I would bring it back to the commission for comments, discussion. I think we're just receiving this item, but uh, any feedback? This is Commissioner Ananda. I feel like I've been talking a lot and I apologize for that. Um, or maybe I don't for taking up my space, but also um, <laughs> I'd like to hear from other folks as well. Um, I just, I felt a real, obviously we all felt a real sense of urgency last June um, when we had this conversation. And I think that these are really important items. And I um, 
proud of the work that we've done on this. And obviously, um, none of this moves as quickly as we would like. I'm sorry, my whole family is coming home and my dogs are barking. I apologize. Um, I think that we have made progress on these items, which is why that update was important to me, particularly the work of the CJCC, for which we can take no credit, but um, I think that it's really important work within our community, and it's important to acknowledge, acknowledge that we're not the only ones doing this work. Um, so I'm, I'm thankful for the update that Brandon is providing and the work that we have done. I think that there's still space for dialogue around these items. And I think that there's space for waiting until we receive that report to continue that. I think that on the item regarding the um, CPRB and the um, HRC, I would like to, or I'm sorry, uh, about the report for the recommendations and feedback from the CPRB about membership. I would like for them to incorporate the um, report as well as the, the public information that they gained. And I don't know, it may be helpful for the commission to give that direction to those groups so that we can ensure that they are taking that into consideration before they provide us with those recommendations. But I mean, aside from that, I'm very pleased with the process that the progress that we've made. And while it's not, it's not as expeditious as I would like, I'm really, I'm really grateful that we are moving in that direction. Mayor Finkel, I would I would echo those comments and um, certainly know the, the the police review board, the human relations board, city gate, uh, the police department, many folks or CJCC obviously are all working hard on these items and and uh, I look forward to to getting to the point where we can bring some of them to fruition and I do think um, you know we'll make some good progress when we get there and so. Um, as with many things, it, it, like you said, it takes longer than you think when you start the project, but uh, getting it right is the most important part. So thank you for the work and I look forward to continuing to move forward on that. And as you said, we've gotten a lot of public feedback, Cityscape has, Police Review Board has, and, and there's a lot yet to be gained, knowledge to be gained from that. So I look forward to getting that and agree that we want to um, at least have some synthesis of that coming to us as we continue to move forward. Other comments from commissioners? Any other direction? Seeing none, Brandon, thank you for that report. Trent, thank you for that report. And we look forward to hearing more going forward. Um, why don't we go ahead and take a, a 10 minute break before we move on to item number three. 10 minute break, be back a little after it. Let's see, eight oh eight. Bordeaux, Mary Finkel, Mary Finkel, and I. It looks like we're ready to come back. I will take roll call. Vice Mayor Shipley. Here. Commissioner Ananda. Here. Commissioner Lawson. Here. Commissioner Bully. Here. Mayor Finkel, I present. We are back after a break and we're moving on to regular agenda item number three, which is to receive a report on the study of the emergency medical services. And I'm not sure who's leading this off. I'll start us out tonight, Mayor. Chief, Good evening, thanks. Mayor and Commission. Uh, I'm Sean Coffey, your fire chief. Tonight with me, I have Division Chief Tom Fagan and Division Chief Kevin Jules. 
Uh, we're here to talk about the presentation by the Public Policy and Management Center from Wichita State University. On uh, June of 2020, Division Chief Fagan uh, developed and issued an RFP for uh, review of emergency medical services within Douglas County. Three agencies responded. Uh, a team made up of city, county, and IFF officials reviewed the three proposals, and we selected the Public Policy and Management Center from Wichita State. Misty Bruckner is here tonight with us uh, to present on this research project. And I'd also like to take a moment to thank the leadership team for the project as we went through. There's a lot of time involved in that. And I'd also specifically like to point out the Division Chief Tom Fagan for his time and effort working with Misty and Wichita State on this project. And with that, I'll hand it off to Misty. Thank you, Chief Coffey. Thank you, Mayor and Commission, for having us here tonight. Uh, before we get started with the presentation, I would just like to echo Chief Coffey's um, words. Greatly appreciate the leadership team that was comprised from both the city and the county, as well as other community stakeholders on the representation from the IFF. Uh, they provided a lot of feedback to make this work possible uh, here tonight. Joining me is um, Tom Jenkins and Daryl Coles, who will be our project associates on this, and they'll be sharing some of the report also. I'm gonna go ahead and start slideshow here. So we were um, selected as part to complete this uh, review of the emergency medical services. And there are a couple of things I just wanna share before we get started. First, there are the, the tangible um, results of this work, which is uh, being able to share what a great service that you are providing to your community. Um, and there are tangible results of that um, every day. But the intangible part of this partnership, I think is also felt with the cooperative uh, work that happens between the city and the county um, and makes this type of community uh, even better and stronger because of leveraging those resources. Um, so we just wanted to make that comment to thank you for your leadership uh, before we go into the details of this work. So our work uh, involved uh, three main areas that we looked at. We looked at the governance structure um, of what would move this work forward. We look at the financial uh, uh, relationship and obligations uh, for both entities. Um, and then finally, we looked at the service delivery um, model and, and options for that. You'll see as we make this presentation, as we include it in, in the report, items that we think that should be important for the agreement and also just items for a potential work in the future, whether those would be work plans or just opportunities to continue the success of, of this uh, effort. Um, within the RFP, there were certain requirements that we um, uh, were asked to do um, and are included in the report. The first part of that was making sure the recommendations meet the National Fire Protection Association standards. Um, we look at the statutory responsibilities to make sure we were following uh, within those requirements. We did Ms. best practice. This is Mayor Finkel, I real quick. You're not, your slide's on advancing. It looks like that we're seeing. Okay. Uh, Looks like you're trying to advance your slides, but we're not seeing that on the screen. Okay. Let, thank you for letting me know. So stop the share and start over again here. Okay. 
Is that better, sir? Okay, great. Thank you. Yes. Um, so we um, looked at statutory standards, and we also did um, best practice research for governance and funding of EMS, um, both within the state and then uh, across the nation to see models that are out there. Um, we looked at innovative models just in service delivery. Um, we looked at all relevant agreements, and we interviewed many stakeholders that are involved uh, within this system of care, both directly um, in public safety and first responders, but also stakeholders that touch in areas of, of health and mental health um, and, and other stakeholders within your community. And then finally, we developed the recommendations um, for this report. So I'm going to start in on the governance area um, and go through what we think are recommendations for the agreement. And then uh, Tom Jenkins and uh, Daryl Coles will take on the finance and the service area. So within the uh, agreement for recommendation and governance, um, we'd recommend that there be established regular governance meetings. Um, this is a, a document that can uh, continuously have new information um, and that that conversation that needs to happen between uh, all entities is important for planning purposes um, to make sure that uh, future issues are identified, to talk about how service is going, um, to any questions about financials or financial exchange, um, but that information be, can, can be covered in that. Um, and, and really important to keep that communication um, uh, going uh, throughout the year um, to make any updates as needed. We think that you already have a very strong model for um, integrated medical and behavioral health planning. Um, several organizations are already meeting and heard that earlier tonight on that. We just would encourage that. Um, it does impact um, emergency medical services, as you know, um, and to make sure our future planning for uh, Lawrence Douglas Fire Medical is included in that um, and is important to leverage all resources to make a difference in, in outcomes. Um, the opportunity is there for performance measurements um, so that all parties involved with this agreement have um, set expectations. Um, the department already tracks many of these um, and just making sure that those are represented on what outcomes and standards are, are expected from both entities is important. Um, as uh, uh, the changes may occur in staffing uh, in the future, and just to make sure that there's representation from Douglas County as a part of that um, selection process is also a recommendation to include in the agreement. One specific area uh, that we talked about and received a lot of information on was the corner scene investigation. Um, so this is an area that we think should be phased out um, and, and got to an agreement on that, um, that it is uh, something that could be provided by others um, and can continue to make resources available for the main purposes of your fire medical and response to emergency services. And the last um, item for the agreement is to set a timeframe of three years as a recommendation to have this agreement reviewed. Um, I think that's one of the uh, challenges is that it had been a while for this agreement to have been reviewed and updated and, and making that done in a more timely fashion will help um, keep this um, information um, up to date and meet the needs of, of both organizations. A few other considerations that are not necessarily part of the agreement that we think were identified with the, the engagement process and certainly part of the best practices 
um, were to define other stakeholder responsibilities. But what we're talking about is this is a systems approach. As you know, you have other organizations and um, that are providing first response um, and to make sure that that is a clear who does what um, and that that is uh, communicated to them and, and is what acknowledged um, within the service uh, parameters for the for the organizations. Um, technical rescue is something that we, we looked at. Um, we think this agreement helps with that, but I think there's more work to be done in that in the future as far as uh, the department's role and responsibility in responding to uh, into the outside of the unincorporated areas in Douglas County and, and to look at that in, in addition. Um, one of the items that we think could be looked at also is to allow for independent non-emergency medical transfers. Um, again, this, probably, this needs more exploration if this would be a, a cost effective for the organization to do. Again, this goes back to making sure that emergency medical services are available to respond to those emergencies. And if it's a non-emergency transfer, um, it can take those uh, resources offline more. And just to make sure that those are uh, the priorities to be, have them to be able to respond to, to those um, services. Um, the next one is to establish first responder regular meeting schedule. Some of this is in progress already with Fire Chase, um, but again, the responders is, is a bigger unit. Um, so to make sure that they are meeting regularly to talk a, a wide variety of, of topics that they should be um, considering for the overall systems approach. You have a considerable amount of work that goes into these intergovernmental service agreements. Um, and, and we became aware that there are many others that you have, which you are to be congratulated on. Um, thinking of ways to amplify that um, work for the future um, to make sure that you are leveraging that to the, the greatest extent possible is one of the recommendations we have. It takes some time to um, get to understand and. Uh, the nuances of this work and having uh, some dedicated resources to help move all of these forward is something we think you should consider. Um, and then finally, measurements are going to change um, and the uh, uh, priorities and standards and just making sure that you're keeping that um, at the forefront of this work and to um, make sure that both uh, Douglas County and the city of Lawrence are, are familiar and are um, supportive of what the expectations are for this. Uh, with that, I'm going to turn it over to Tom Jenkins, and he's going to talk about the financial model for this. Thank you very much, Misty. Um, one of the things that I would certainly enjoy highlighting for the commission, uh, mayor and the city manager and all the other uh, important folks with the city of Lawrence, um, is that this is a this is a system that I, I think in, a, in many ways is a gold standard. But one of the challenges that we had certainly was to to understand the math associated with service delivery between the entities of Lawrence and Douglas County. The financial model that we developed uh, really tried to segregate and, and isolate where uh, the financial investment was being made and, and how that played into emergency medical services. And uh, most importantly, uh, we, we, wanted, we wanted to make sure that the end result from this effort uh, reflected what what was what was really going on that that you have stakeholders, uh, namely the the two primary entities here that 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 have a vested interest in making sure that this financial model is defendable. And so we'll walk you through that. Uh, we also incorporated uh, an administrative fee 
which is part of the um, city of Lawrence and and how business is typically done. And so we'll 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 walk you through uh, this process, but but understanding and creating this financial model uh, took some time, but I, I think the end result uh, is certainly something to be proud of. Uh, on the next slide, uh, if you don't mind, Misty, the uh, the current financial model, uh, to put it bluntly, is just a bit archaic. It was based from the original consolidation of the uh, Douglas Ambulance Service into the Lawrence Douglas County Fire Medical Model, and th there wasn't a lot of science associated with it. Uh, these percentages uh, were derived from really just uh, past practice and were not something that uh, reflected uh, the current um, segregation of work and how things were done. In the, in the next slide um, that you'll see, what we proposed was to really look at the allocation of resources. And uh, the way that, that we tried to simplify, and, and we understand that as elected officials, this is, this is important that you have some understanding of it, of course, that, that we wanted to make sure that EMS only or, or, or services, expenses that were associated just with the provision of emergency medical services, that we could identify those expenses, that there are some expenses that are not emergency medical at all, that because Lawrence Douglas County Fire Medical provides a whole host of services to the city of Lawrence and the area, there are some things that are clearly not medical in nature, and we wanted to identify those. That's what's reflected in red. And then there are some expenses, as identified in purple, that um, really are a blend, that um, there are just a lot of things that when you have, uh, when you have these job arrangements and a deployment model um, that share uh, some responsibility, that, that we had to find some science with which to divide up. Uh, those costs. And so those are reflected in purple, as I said, in those shared costs. Going forward, um, what our obligation was, was to look at the current budget for Lawrence Douglas County Fire Medical and figure out where we could allocate um, the, various the various expenses so that, that we knew how to classify them. And we could try to determine for the city and for the county what the true cost of EMS was. On the next slide, you'll see that you have the, 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 the kind of where the rubber hits the road, that we have some expenses, that's the just over $1 million worth of EMS-only expenses that are Douglas County expenses. We have uh, some completely non-emergency medical expenses. That's the little over a half a million dollar expenses that are in red reflected for the city of Lawrence. And then you have some shared costs, and the shared costs are obviously by the, the aggregate number at the bottom, the vast majority of the things that go on with Lawrence Douglas County Fire Medical, nearly $21 million. And it was these expenses that um, we arrived at uh, a cost share um, that is, is more reflective of, uh, of the way business is done with this deployment model. On the next slide, uh, the, the way that $20 million, $20 million, those shared costs, when you, when you look at the 36% and the 64%, that cost factor, um, this is how they would be allocated. So um, of the vast majority of the budgetary cost, about $8.5 million 
uh, and looking at how deployment is done is assigned to Douglas County and nearly $14 million, of course, to the city of Lawrence. That also includes the EMS-only expenses, the medical-only expenses, and those expenses that were non-EMS that I mentioned earlier. On the next slide, uh, we also uh, tallied an administrative fee, and this is a fee that uh, took some time to understand and try to, and we tried as as um, as we went along to understand the integration of it. But this is an important fee. This is the fee that goes for all those services that uh, go to support uh, the department. And so I, I know that Misty may want to make some comments here, but it is essentially 10% of the total expenses, um, which comes to about 2.2 million. And then uh, the county share of that is just the same cost share that we arrived at, that 36%. And so that administrative fee is uh, something that is incorporated into the financial model of the agreement. The process that we found for the financial model was cumbersome, that anytime you're dealing with multiple geopolitical entities and uh, you're trying to share services, that's complicated enough. And one of our obligations in this is to look at opportunities to, to streamline how this is done. And so the financial model, simply put in nine steps, is really for us to figure out what is medical, right? What what elements of the Lawrence Douglas County fire medical budget are medical only? Um, what are fire only? What is not medical that needs to be subtracted from the budget? What is What are those shared resources? What are those shared budgetary items? Uh, calculate the administrative fee. And then, of course, it's this continual uh, reevaluation uh, and exchange of financial information. And there's there's other items here. There's there's capital purchases, uh, items that might be shared capital. And as Misty mentioned earlier, and as I know my colleague Daryl will mention in uh, a little bit, there's there's also the coroner scene investigation uh, component as well. The current process, as you can see on the screen, and I, I will not take time to go through, uh, was much more cumbersome. And so we wanted to find something that could be replicated, could be understood easily. And so um, the process that you see uh, on the screen um, will be the process going forward to interact between the two um, entities where Lawrence Douglas County Fire Medical where will uh, collect um, revenue, of course, and uh, the city of Lawrence will send quarterly statements to Douglas County, uh, including the elements listed in the bullet points below the red box. Uh, Douglas County will reimburse, reimburse the city for those EMS-only expenses, the shared 36% uh, expenses. Uh, subtracted from that will be uh, what is gained in ambulance revenue. And uh, we'll use the fourth quarter audited actuals uh, to reconcile differences uh, that have been paid. There are some considerations that need to be on the radar and, and in the minds of those officials, those decision makers within the city. Those are shared capital planning, just like um, in a blended model such as this, there are 
opportunities, I think, for the entities to continue to work together, um, the tracking tools to continue to be able to be transparent and understand where the money is going, and also for change and growth that uh, the emergency medical services component provided by the city into the county is not unlike many cities. It's complex. It's ever-changing. It's at the forefront of a lot of conversations. And so the need to, to plan for change and growth is imperative. And, uh, and, and there's always the need for future uh, conversations regarding cost allocation. And as Misty mentioned earlier in some of her opening remarks, one of the one of the most important kind of keystone elements of what what happens in the future is this conversation and communication. That this is, this is an agreement that, by my memory, is about twenty five years old, and um, it, it just needs to be. There needs to be some touch points from time to time uh, to make it more successful and to keep it nimble. With that, I'll turn. Uh, the uh, the floor over to my colleague, uh, Chief Daryl Coles. Hello, uh, Daryl Coles, uh, Project Associate for WSU. I'm just going to quickly run through some of the, the stuff we heard from our different focus groups uh, as we talk to the various people um, in the city. Uh, most of this stuff is make um, the proposed agreement. It's just low-hanging fruit and just um, common themes that we heard throughout from from many of the groups. So uh, first, um, we would recommend that we we clarify all the tasks that the various agencies that are working with with um, the EMS system there, um, with all the first response groups, with the, the hospital, just to, to make sure um, everybody understands um, the role of EMS, the role of the hospital, just so there's no confusion uh, on what's going on. Um, the fire department uh, and medical department is really good at this, but just continue to analyze any changes of the system, um, changes in demographics, changes um, of the makeup of all your, your response agencies. Um, we did see um, quite a deficit um, not from uh, low iron medical, but a debt in data collection within the entire system. Um, the, uh, your, your fire medical program does a very, very good job of collecting and analyzing their data. Um, but data system-wide um, is not available to them. Um, and it is not available to the system. So it, it, it makes it sometimes difficult to to take a really good deep dive into what's going on in the system when you don't have a complete data set. Um, and no fault of them. It's just, just the way that everything's currently structured. Um, might seem kind of trivial, but it, I guess it's worth noting within our report um, that the medical supply process just kept coming up with the first response groups. So we, we wanted to, to talk about that. Um, and then just as system-wide performance standards, your fire department does a very good job with their standard of coverage, so on and so forth. But when it comes to system performance standards, um, because there is not a, a system approach to data collection, um, it's, it's difficult to adopt system performance standards because, because that data is just not there um, to report on. Um, 
some other things with, that we we came across that we thought was worth noting was, um, as in any system, um, it, it may be worth talking about um, your dispatch system and a communication system. There are NFPA standards in place for um, time to dispatch, so on and so forth. Um, a lot of systems rely on EMD accreditation to, to guide them through that process. Um, your fire department, I think, is is putting the citizens in a really good place when it comes to um, systems innovations. Um, and I really believe on the EMS side that, that innovations over the next, over the short term, um, at least are going to work to to reap benefits when it comes to reimbursement and so on and so forth. So um, they have you in a, a really good place. And, and we believe that, that acting upon some of those innovations is, is going to really help in the future. Um, we do believe that a professional billing audit of all your EMS billing practices is probably in order. Not that they're doing a bad job. It's just that is a profession that's hard to keep up with and as with a lot of things if you can do some audits every once in a while from from the experts they might be able to find some some areas for improvement um, and then just purchasing alternatives if you can if you can find those and leverage different purchasing alternatives for medical supplies um, last thing is to try to reduce the non-emergency service impact to the entire system. And that's on the radar of any fire department, EMS service, and even police departments at this point. Um, there's a lot of non-emergency um, work being done by emergency services anymore. And just trying to leverage different programs, different opportunities to lessen that impact. Um, so all of your units um, and people are are available to take care of emergencies when they do arrive. Um, I believe the last slide, Misty, is um, just a, a redo um, from the governance section, but it, it all applies to the service delivery. So we we bring we thought we'd bring up some of this stuff again. These are again things that are probably not going to be part of a new service agreement, but but they just came up enough um, in different areas um, through our research um, and talking to stakeholders that we thought we'd bring this stuff up because it's going to have it. There is an impact to the service delivery of every single bullet point here. Um, it was a little bit out of scope, um, but very, very worth bringing up was a technical rescue aspect because um, you do have a, a fire department that that is is performing a lot of technical rescue all, all over the, the county, just as they do hazmat. Um, so that's, that's something that needs to be talked about. Um, we believe that that the non-emergency medical transfer work being done by the fire department is creating a burden to the emergency work. And it's at least worth taking a bigger deep dive into that. Um, we just didn't didn't have time through this project to do that. That's probably a whole nother project. Um, making sure the first responders are all on the same page and meeting um, um, regularly. <clears throat> and something that did come up that we thought was worth worth noting, and I'll and I'll I'll, I'll uh, end with this is 
having some sort of staff support for all of these um, different agreements that you have. I think we ran across, um, and Misty may be able to help me, but we did run across um, some different governments that have just a, I think it's a, an agreement officer, or I can't, I don't know the name for it, but they, they do have a staff person 100% devoted to the intergovernment um, agreement support. And that's just their, this, their work that they do um, to try to stem that gap um, between city county government. Um, and that's all I have. Let's see, have any other questions? That is the, the end of our former PowerPoint presentation. Uh, we greatly appreciate the opportunity to, to work with all the, the folks and the leadership team and the staff and would be glad to answer questions you might have. Mayor Finkelai, thank you for that report and thank you for all the work you've done. I know it's a lot of work and you've made a lot of good progress. Um, questions from commissioners? This is Commissioner Larson. Could you walk through, somebody walk through how you determine the 36-64 split? Yes, I'll be happy to. Thank you, Commissioner. Uh, the 36-64 split is based on the deployment of personnel. So there were, there were a lot of different opportunities that uh, we could have exercised to determine that split. And there was, there was a lot of conversation about it, but what we came to realize was a pretty de defendable model was to look at the minimum staffing for the fire department every day, 24, 365 people were allocated to on this is Mayor Finkelai, Tom, or you're cutting out on us there. I don't know if you can try again or if someone else could jump in. Mayor, this is Misty Brecker. I'll jump in just a, a little bit here. Um, we did look at different models for how we could look at that shared cost and came down to the, the personnel allocation uh, for, for um, that shared part. Um, personnel cost drive a lot of the uh, of the cost associated with this. And so that was one way to make that distinction for those that are um, deployed every day to to be on ambulances, to be specific for um, medical services, and then specific for, for the non-medical or the fire part of that. So that that was the the that is the how that is divided between 36 and 64. Commissioner Larson, thank you very much for that explanation. So uh, it's based on personnel. How did you divide up when a, um, a firefighter that's also a EMT, how are those costs divided up? Sure. So but most of them, this is Misty Bruckner again, so most of them are. And so that's why that's in that shared cost model uh, and would be in the shared. So the vast majority of the folks are in that shared as far as personnel. There's only a few that are in either solely EMS or, or solely non-EMS. And um, you can go back to that chart if that would be helpful, but that's that's the vast majority are shared. Commissioner, so if they're a firefighter and an EMT, those costs are shared, is that correct? Correct. Okay. Commissioner Larson, thank you. 
Mayor Finkel, I have questions before we open it up to public comment. Commissioner Larson, I do have a few more questions. I'm trying to, I got my notes here that I'm trying to look through at the same time, looking where I made the notes for. So, <laughs> um, so, um, uh, uh, so this is on page 16 of the report. Um, so when um, this involves the breakdown, and I, it took me a little bit, but I finally figured out how, how you how you came up with the totals, um, which seemed based on your model seems obviously correct. But I did have a question: um, when firefighters go out on a call on a medical call with a, the ambulance, how um, do, do do we get? Uh, does the city? get reimbursed for some of those costs because it's a medical or how did, how does that work when you got two firefighters and the ambulances going on the same call? The way, way we do that, Commissioner Larson, is that all the EMS billing for a medical call, that is all returned to the county and medical billing fees. And so um, it's roughly about 2.4 million annually. And so <clears throat> we bill for that service, realizing that uh, fire apparatus may go along as well to respond, but there's not a medic unit um, close by, the fire apparatus will first respond with the firefighters and uh, provide that ALS care as well. Chris Larson, thank you. So um, even though it's a medical call, we still pay for the firefighter, the city still pays for the firefighter and we it's not a, it's not considered part of the medical call? That's correct. We're going back to the 36%. That 36% was based upon, we have seven medic units in the county for EMS and that roughly equates to 14 individuals. And we took that, that was 36% of the daily minimum staffing based upon fire apparatus have four on it with the exception of our rescue that has three. And when you do that percentage, it comes out to 36% based upon our standard of cover. Realizing that the EMS providers on the ambulance are firefighters as well. So if a fire comes in, say, um, as fire station number five in the apartment complex across the street, and the fire truck is gone, the medic unit responds across the street, puts on their protective clothing and SCBAs, and initiates fire attack activities. Conversely, the medic unit's gone, a code blue, which is somebody having a heart attack, comes in across the street. The fire apparatus goes across the streets and initiates ALS care as well. So our people are fully integrated and perform both functions. Okay. Okay, thank you. This is Commissioner Larson. Thank you again. So I have a couple questions on again on page um, 12 of the report. Um, there's a um, Item number seven talks about capital expenses such as buildings and so forth, and that those have not um, been clarified. So how how is that going to be done, or when is it going to be done? Is it going to be part of the agreement, or is this a later discussion? It's item number seven on page 12. Thank you, Commissioner. This is Misty Breckner. Um, the ones that are that are easy, right, that are the 100% EMS, I think that those have been clarified. It's the shared ones. Um, I think the past capital planning, um, all entities involved has said there's been a, a lot of improvement in the last few years on uh, to do that. And 
what our recommendation is, is by having those regular meetings and talking about planning ahead, um, that there will be more opportunities to divide this work on uh, the shared capital. I think it comes, it's down to nuances by projects. Um, and so having our recommendation is some of that criteria will be defined ahead of time. And then as projects come in, that'll be easier to buy what is only EMS, what is fire and what is shared cost. Um, but we did not get into the details yet in, in this report. Mr. Larson, thank you. So make sure I understand. So th that clarification will not be part of the agreement. Is that correct? I think the recommendation is that it should follow that shared cost model. What all might be included in that shared cost, it still, still needs to be defined because of the nuances of the projects that might be coming forward. Okay. Commissioner Larson, thank you. I, I asked that because we have struggled dividing up the cost of buildings and repairs and maintenance on a semi, not, not that I call a lot, but it, it has kind of been a little, little spot that we struggled with. So I think it's important that we make sure the clarification is very strong on that. So I appreciate that. So thank you. Um, on page 25 of the report, There was an, there's, this is uh, about the non-emergency transfer alternatives. Um, and one was option two, um, which is the um, non-emergency transfers use of off-duty. The option was to use off-duty firefighters hired back in overtime for this cost. So if, that, if the county chose this, would the city be reimbursed for those firefighters' times? Chief Jenkins, you did the work on this. Do you want to jump in and talk about that? Are you able to connect? I certainly hope so, unless the question is extra difficult and then <laughs> I'm going to fake a Wi-Fi problem. Um, so hopefully I'm good now. Uh, so it's not its not really the county's decision. It, it, it really is incorporated into Lawrence Douglas County Fire Medical. It's as much the city's decision as to how those non-emergency transfers could take place. The problem with the transfers is it distracts from the emergency service delivery. Um, it, it's a wonderful service to the hospital that the department provides. Um, the, those, those options essentially are trying to, to get some creative juices flowing as to, as to what needs to take place. But fundamentally, your seven on-duty paramedic ambulances don't need to be doing non-emergency transfers. That's a distraction from the emergency service delivery. And so some alternative needs to take place. If you, there, there, there is some uh, money, there's some money and some revenue associated with those transfers. So uh, there's the potential for that to balance out, but it is not a reimbursable um, you know, it's, it's not a county to city reimbursable expense. That's not, uh, that, that was not identified as um, how that would work. Uh, Commissioner Larsner, thank you very much. My question, um, appreciate that information. My question, however, was um, that option two is proposing the use of off-duty firefighters um, to be hired back to do the non-emergency transfers. Um, if they do, if this were to be chosen and they did, we've used firefighters to do the um, non-emergency transfers, would the city be paying those firefighters or would that be a county responsibility? That would be a city responsibility. That would be Lawrence Douglas County Fire Medical. 
Okay. Commissioner Larson, thank you. Ms. Commissioner Boley, um, would the city under that option receive the revenue for the non-emergency transfers? I think that if the non-emergency, as the non-emergency transfer conversation continues to take place, I think that would be something that that um, that you would want to discuss, and it would be my recommendation that you would. Okay, uh, Commissioner Larson, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mr. Bowling. Well, this, this Commissioner Bowling, is is the city currently receiving any of that revenue? No, we, we do not receive any of that revenue. <clears throat> the county uses that to offset their total cost uh, for provision of EMS within all of Douglas County. Mayor Fingal, I just real quick remind people to introduce themselves every time they speak. Uh, Commissioner Larson, just a couple more questions. Um, on page 23, the... Um, there's a discussion on an audit and I'm trying to find it here. Essentially that I, be, I believe it was on page 20. I've got that as 23. It, they're recommending an audit be done. Um, and I apologize, I'm not seeing where I outlined that. But anyway, there was a recommendation for an audit to be done. And my question was, is that being done now? Audits, regular audits? There are not, is not a third party audit. There is not regularly done. Okay. C Commissioner Larson again. So with um, the agreements gonna, gonna have in it that these will be done, is that correct? This is Daryl Coles. Um, I don't believe in our proposed agreement that there's anything in there about uh, a billing services audit. Um, it was just a, a captured best practice that, that we wanted to put into the final report, um, but not something that, that we're recommending that, that is placed inside of the agreement, just because I, I think that would, I would, I, would, I would hate to recommend to put something in an agreement and then you have an auditor come in, audit your billing practices, and lo and behold, you know, you have the best billing system in the Midwest, and then you're hamstrung to continue an audit um, when it was found you really didn't need it. Um, we just, we thought we'd put that in there um, because we believe um, from talking to many, many different EMS services in Kansas and nationwide that um, these 30 party EMS billing audits have, have provided very good information and been fruitful to different EMS services that, that have have taken an opportunity to do them. Commissioner Larson, thank you. Um, so you're not you're not um, recommending an audit. Is that what I'm hearing? No, not recommending that it's placed into the service agreement. Um, but that it that it is would be a best practice that we would recommend happens, but not just place any kind of verbiage into the the service agreement to do so. Mr. Larson, thank you very much. My last question, I promise, um, is on page 80. And what I noticed on that table, this is um, collection and revenue billing 
information is that the collection rates are all about 50 to 60 rank um, percent um, collection rate. Does, is that low? Is that low for, is that, does that mean that 45% is not collected and it's just written off? There's uh, Sean Coffey, fire chief, and I'll let the division chief Jules comment a little bit more. One of the things that we have to factor in is Medicare to Medicaid. When we take a transport, say a person from uh, here to KU Med Center, and we may bill $1,000 for that medical call, uh, the medical transfer, Medicare or Medicaid may only pay $500. And so we end up writing off that, five, that other 500. Okay. And so that's where that comes from. Chief Joel, do you have anything additional on that? Uh, Kevin Joel, Division Chief of EMS. Just a, a quick um, example of, of some of the fees that we may charge. So on a basic life support, um, run-of-the-mill call, we'll just say abdominal pain to um, LMH Hospital that would maybe be about five miles away from a call. And these are just all arbitrary numbers, but we charge $595, which is the is a pretty fair rate for that transport, plus mileage, which is about $9.50 per mile or so. What we would get paid on from Medicaid would be about um, $40. And what we would get paid on Medicare would be about $220. So the portions in which we collect are, are far less when we're talking about Medicare, Medicaid, versus a private pay or a, a third party um, third party insurance company. So I think that we may be a little bit off. Um, I think we're closer to 70% um, net um, overall within the um, collections um, on billing. Uh, we could, I mean, this is a far more um, uh, cumbersome discussion than, than than it, we could have tonight. We would be talking until tomorrow and I would need my billing specialist um, in order to, to have these conversations because she's the professional with this. Um, there are a lot to be, uh, a lot of conversations that need to be had in regards to the billing side of things. Um, but when we talk about um, from the hospital to lower level of care and the money that we get versus collected um, to higher level of care. Higher level of care is always gonna pay more. Um, it usually comes down to medical necessity on whether we're transferring somebody from a hospital to a lower level of care or back to home. So the, there are opportunities, um, just depends on which way we decide to go in that, in that regard. Commission, this is Steve Bruckner, and I would just add in, I think that's why we think a third party coming in might be able to help identify some opportunities, but um, echoing, this is complex, um, and we're, we're not to the point of being able to benchmark that, but that would, an audit would help uh, the department be able to do that. Uh, Commissioner Larson, thank you for those explanations. This is Commissioner Boley. Um, could I ask you to please expand on the um, the data collection aspects you talked about? Um, I believe it's Mr. Coles. Um, can you talk about what data is not available? Yes, uh, Daryl Coles. So um, we quickly found out, and and this is not unique to your system. It's actually. Um, very, very, at least in the state of Kansas, and I can't speak outside of the state of Kansas on this one, but 
within the state of Kansas, there's a, there is a data gap. Um, and that gap generally occurs um, with a first response agency, first arrival on scene to when the ambulance gets there. Um, and while you could extrapolate some data from your guys' CAD system, um, because it's not um, being cleaned up and put into a patient care report or at least a fire fire station report of some sorts, um, it's, it's exactly that. It's just raw data out of CAD. So um, some, there's a lot of opportunities um, if you are gathering that data. So um, we'll just take a heart attack victim. Um, right now, your system, um, the only way your system is able to document first medical contact and care beginning is when your ambulance gets there, um, out in the county anyways. So that's just not true data because we know you have very good first responders that are arriving on scene before the ambulances sometime and beginning care, but that data is not being captured because they don't, there's not a common um, thread of, of data being inputted. Um, I, I think as good as your, your fire medical department is with data, um, if your system can start inputting some white data, um, I think they, they could put together a really holistic picture of how the community is being cared for um, and do some good work with that. Um, but it's just not there. I, and I, just from doing this project, I think your community is poised for a huge investment in their area with, with your consolidated fire districts and, and the, the new leadership um, with, your, with your consolidated fire chief and, and so on. I, I think there's a huge opportunity for your system to, to fix that and probably become somewhat of a leader in, for the state on, on how that can be done right. Commissioner Bowley, thank you. Mayor, uh, Sean Coffey, Fire Chief. If you have a moment, I'd like uh, Division Chief Fagan to also con comment on that. He's uh, kind of our data guru and he can talk about some of the complexities as uh, Daryl mentioned uh, that uh, relationship between the first responders in the county versus our data. Good evening, Commissioners. This is Tom Fagan, Division Chief of Administration with LDCFM. Uh, Chief Coles was referring to the segment of data for the other agencies that we respond with. Um, after the consolidation um, of the consolidated fire districts, uh, there are five other first responding agencies that fire medical co-responds with. And so when we look at our response times, our response data and some of our outcomes, the primary records management system that we use is for Lawrence Douglas County Fire Medical. Those five other first responding agencies all have their own records management systems in which they capture their data. And so right now when we report our response performance, even in the rural areas and in the unincorporated areas of Douglas County, uh, it's representative of our performance as an organization and doesn't include um, the good performance that may exist in those first responding jurisdictions. And so that's what Chief Coles is referring to is that segment of performance isn't always reflected. Sometimes we may beat first responders in some of those areas, 
but other times they may beat us. So um, I hope that may clarify the segment of data that he's referring to. Mayor Finkley, other questions before we open this to public comment? We'll go ahead and open it to public comment then. And if any member of the public would like to speak, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature. Or if you're present, let Sherry know. Uh, Seamus Albritton. Hello, my name is Seamus Albert, and I'm currently the president of IAFF, Local 1596, a labor organization that represents the firefighters, EMTs, and paramedics in town. I'll start by thanking the team from Wichita, as well as city and department management for including us in this project. Um, confident that we'll continue to be involved as some of these future work items are, are, are worked on throughout the year and, and in the future. Uh, I do want to use tonight as an opportunity to speak on one specific future work item and the recommendations around it. In the final document, it discusses, uh, as our presenters discuss, the difficulties that our non-emergency medical transfers are causing for our response model. And then it offers three suggested um, solutions. As our EMS professionals in town, we would like to advocate that we continue to do it, uh, continue to handle these calls as LDCFM and use the recommendation to staff it with LDCFM members. We also would passionately, passionately warn against the idea of bringing in a third party ambulance system, um, otherwise known as a private or for-profit ambulance system to handle these situations. So currently when our community members call for an ambulance, regardless of the reason, they are using a government service and are getting world-class uh, world-class care in which we have control over. If we were to invite a private or for-profit company to come in and handle these, our community members would be subject to all the problems that are associated with the for-profit medical care system. These companies are notorious for overcharging their patients, providing subpar care, and paying their employees little to nothing. Um, however, if we follow the recommendation to uh, put in place another medic unit, another ambulance staffed with our people to handle these things, handle these calls, our community members are still be, going to be treated in a system in which they are viewed as the people they are and not potential revenue. Additionally, and, and I think this should be noted, if we continue to use LDCFM, a city department, to manage these calls, these situations, the people who are doing the work will still continue to be under direct control of our elected officials and, and city management. This means we have better opportunities to control the care, the quality care that our community members are receiving, as well as a direct way to hold those people doing the work accountable to our, our community values, our department values. Uh, LDCFM's vision statement even mentions this in, in the last line of the vision statement. It talks about being committed to holding ourselves, holding each other accountable to, to um, our community's values and our, our organization's values. Let's maintain that. We would advocate to, to be able to maintain that in every aspect of EMS that yeah. we would for our citizens. Thank you. 
Chris Flowers. Hi, I wasn't, uh, this is Chris Flowers. Um, I wasn't going to speak, but that last speaker made really good points. Like I've heard about um, private um, for-profits, you know, doing ambulance stuff and emergency stuff. And I'd, I'd much prefer our, like our local, what we have now doing it. Um, I, I think we have a pretty good fire department and I think he made a really good point about what kind of the quality of service we might get from a for-profit private one. So I, I fully support the, the last commenter. Thank you. This is Sherry Reedeman, City Clerk. Is there anyone else who would like to provide comment on this item? And Mayor, there's no more comment. Mayor Finkelai, thank you, Sherry. We'll bring it back to the commission for, for the questions or discussion or comments. Guess I would, oh, go ahead, Commissioner Bully. Uh, Commissioner Bully, I would like to express my gratitude for all the work that's gone into this. It's a very impressive product. And um, I'd like to thank everyone who's been involved in the discussions. Um, I, I think this provides us with a, a uh, new platform in which to serve the community together with our partners at the county. This is Commissioner Larson, and um, I would just, uh, the document itself is, is, I think it's pretty amazing what has come forth to us. Um, I know they've been working on this for um, many, many months, and it's taken a lot of meetings as well as back and forth, and appreciate the county, um, Sarah and Craig, both uh, in the city, uh, for um helping negotiate this uh, contract. Um, one of the, I guess the biggest concerns I have on this is still how the um, firefighters uh, will be charged if they're working on a medical situation. And, and I'm sure that will come to light and will be part of the contract in detail. So I'm looking forward to actually seeing a detailed contract so that way um, we can um, have a better chance of understanding what all the recommendations are from this report. But yeah, again, I just want to thank everybody for working on this. This, this is an amazing uh, process that has happened here. Thank you. Mayor Finkel, I wanted to echo those comments. And I guess when we started this project, I was expecting, um, you know, some mathematical calculations to come out of the deal, but to see um, what we got from, from this about different um, improvements we can make to the entire system, not just how we pay for it. Um, you know, I was happy to see that. And, and clearly, um, Chief Coffee and the captains are, are, are taking some of these things to heart and figuring out ways to improve our system. And, and, and obviously, with some of these future work items, we're going to continue to see, um, I think, good discussions come out of it. Um, and certainly, I know one of those as Seamus talked about, will be the, the transport um, conversation. And that's, you know, for another day. But um, in my legal practice, I've had some run-ins with private ambulance services either. And they're not on the top of my favorite entities to work with. But, um, you know, um, 
So I tend to tend to lean that way, but I know that's a conversation for another day. I also like this, you know, some of these ideas we've talked a lot about before, which is, you know, improvements to dispatch or something that we need to talk about and responding. And then this data gap, I think, is important as well as the intergovernmental work. And so I appreciate those recommendations and very much appreciate Wichita State and all the folks who worked on this. I, it's a very impressive product and look forward to seeing the final agreement and, and moving forward. This is Misty Brecker. We just want to thank all of the, of the great leadership and the folks within the, the department to, that helped us do this and appreciate the opportunity to work with your community um, to, to share this information. So thank you very much. Mayor Fingal, as I look at the agenda item, it provide recommendations and then request a final draft to be completed. I don't know. Sherry, is that a motion you want from us or is just tell them to keep working? <laughs> uh, this is Sherry Riedemann, City Clerk. I don't feel that we need a motion on this, but I, perhaps um, Chief Fagan or Coffee could comment on that if they, if they feel like they need it. I don't feel we need a motion on that. We were just seeking direction from you so we can, uh, we have a presentation tomorrow night with the County Commission on this agreement and with Wichita State. We'll be going over it with them. Uh, we working on a draft agreement uh, that we'll be coming forward with, working with city legal based upon uh, the recommendations provided within the report. Mayor Finkel, I think that makes sense. And I think General consensus is we're headed in the right way and we look forward to seeing the final report and Commissioner Lawson might have some more questions then, but <laughs> but no, that'll be that'll be good and we look forward to that. So thank you everyone. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, moving on to item four. This is um, a resolution regarding industrial revenue bonds related to US engineering. That item has been deferred. However, I need to open the public hearing and allow anyone from the public who would like to speak on this item to speak. Um, and then we, then the, the action the commission will take will be to defer it to April 20th. But I'll go ahead and open this item to public comment. If anyone would like to make a public comment. Does on the public do you need a motion to open the public hearing? We've decided we don't need a motion to open it. We can just open it. And so um, thank you for that. But we'll go, just go ahead and open the public hearing. And if any member of the public would like to speak on it, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature and we'll let Sherry know. Uh, this is Sherry Riedemann, City Clerk. There's no public comment on this item. Mayor Finkel, I. Um, and Diane, you turned on your camera, but I want to make sure, do we need to do anything else besides um, continue this, take a motion to continue this till April 20th. Diane Soddard, Assistant City Manager. Mayor, you're correct uh, to continue the hearing to the 20th. Thank you. Look for a motion to This continue. Commissioner Boley, I move that we continue the hearing until April 25th, is that it? April 20th. April 20th. Commissioner Larson, second. Mayor Finkelauer, we have a motion by Commissioner Bully, a second by Commissioner Lawson. Commissioner Bully? Aye. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Ananda? Aye. Mayor Finkel, aye. Um, passes 
it passes five to zero, and we'll continue that item until April 20th. That brings us to commission items. Do any commissioner have any items they'd like to bring forward? Mayor Finkel, I one, um, one item I'd just like to maybe consider putting on a future work session or presentation is I know that um, Steve Novak and Mary Dubton and, and, and Margaret from the Arts Center, those arts organizations have been working on a, uh, have an economic impact statement that they've started to present to a few groups. And they've asked for the, an opportunity in the future they're going to want to present it to the, the, the county commission as well as us. And and I said I'd bring that up to see if we were interested in hearing a little bit more about um, the economic impact of some of their organizations going forward and how that relates to our economic strategic plan. Vice Mayor Shipley, I support that. Looks like um, we have some support for that. So I'll have them work with staff and maybe figure out a time it works out for them. Any other commission items? Seeing none, we'll move to the C manager's report. Craig? Thank you. Um, my report's got some several items on it. Um, uh, City Manager Craig Owens. Um, the first item is a uh, uh, we did provide an update in there about this substantial work that's been going on to prepare for the new transit center um, and i don't know if anybody has any questions uh, transit and parking manager adam weigel is here available to answer any questions on that one adam you want to say anything uh, adam weigel transit and parking manager uh, yeah, I won't reiterate what's in the update, but we're just excited. This has been a project that's been discussed and studied for a very long time. So I think staff and partners at KU and bus operators are all very uh, excited to get going on it and looking forward to um, stakeholder meetings and public engagement to come later this month. And, and that should give our consultant good information to build, um, start building some, some conceptual ideas. So uh, we're preparing to get going, but um, you can answer any questions you might have. Mayor Finkel, I don't have any questions, but I did review that and it does look like a, a good good process. And I look forward to that. Appreciate the, the work you're doing in that. Certainly as we talk about our commitment to public engagement, you've checked that one off the list here. I look forward to seeing what we get back and seeing the outcomes on that. Other comments on that? Or not Craig. Uh, thank you, uh, City Manager Craig Owens. Uh, the next item on here is uh, while it's the 28th consecutive year that we've received the um, award of financial reporting achievement from the Government Finance Officers Association. Uh, it's one that um, I always like to highlight, um, even though we've done it 28 years in a row. Not every city does, and uh, I think it speaks to the importance of transparency and uh, quality uh, of financial reporting that we, we do uh, consistently um, and have over the course of the years. It's a, it's a standard that we 
have continued to be proud that we uh, deliver. And it's recognized by a, a third party independent agency in that. And so um, I draw your attention to that and also uh, express my appreciation, gratitude to our finance department and uh, uh, Jeremy Wilmoth, who's our director. Happy to answer any questions about that. Um, the other items are a little more standard. We saw our building uh, permits report um, and um, the sales tax reports, quite a bit of data and information in there. Um, and then the other two are the upcoming agenda items and uh, future agenda work sessions. Other than that, happy to answer any questions. Mayor Finkelai, any questions for Craig? Seeing none, this is a public hearing item. If anyone has any public comment on these six items in the city manager's report, please raise your hand using the raise your hand feature and Sherry will call upon you. Sherry Riedemann, City Clerk. There's no public comment on this item. Mayor Fingalai, thank you, Sherry. Thank you, Craig, for that manager's report. We'll go on to the calendar items. Any updates on the calendar? Seeing none, our last item before adjournment is we're going to um, look to adjourn to executive session for 10 minutes. I look for a motion on that. Mayor, before we do that, oh. I just wanted to get clarification. Um, I'm not sure if Tony's already gone into the executive session, but the um, motion that's included references um, our temporary resolution 7355 that was just replaced on our consent agenda with 7360, which is effective as soon as you adopt it. So I just want to make sure we're referencing. Does that is that clear? <laughs> So I want to make sure we're referencing the appropriate resolution. So when you Mayor, read that, I, I would suggest we need to change that to 7360. Mayor Finkelai, I'm looking at Commissioner Bully. I, if he's going to make this. Mr. Bully, I'll give a stab at it. Um, I move that we approve a motion to recess into executive session for approximately 10 minutes, to discuss privileged legal communications from the city's attorneys regarding pending litigation pursuant to KSA 75-4319B2. The justification for the executive session is to keep attorney-client privilege matters confidential at this time. The city commission meeting will resume in its virtual format in accordance with resolution number 7360 at the conclusion of the executive session. Mr. Anand, a second. Mayor Finkelstein, a motion by Commissioner Bully, a second by Commissioner Ananda. Commissioner Bully? Aye. Commissioner Ananda? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Mayor Finkelstein, aye. Passes 5 to 0. We'll return at 9.30. And we have nothing to report. I'll go ahead and take roll call, I guess, first. Vice Mayor Shipley? Here. Commissioner Lawson? Here. 
Commissioner Nanda? Here. Commissioner Bully? Here. Mayor Finkelgaard here. And now I guess I'll say it again. We're back from um, executive session. We have nothing to report. I look for a motion to adjourn. Commissioner Larson moved to adjourn. Commissioner Ananda, second. Mayor Finkelgaard, motion by Commissioner Lawson, a second by Commissioner Ananda. Commissioner Lawson? Aye. Commissioner Ananda? Aye. Vice Mayor Shipley? Aye. Commissioner Bully? Aye. Mayor Finkelgaard, aye. Passes five to zero. Thank you all. See you next week.